carbon outside. <laughs> Watch your chair now. And you don't do what you're supposed to. Tonight's episode: Triangle of Terror. GearWebsites.com is your source for firearms-based playing cards and books. We also have mugs, shirts, and posters with designs that we've made live. Of course, we have patches. Every Friday is Free Patch Friday. We appreciate your support. Thank you for shopping at GearWebsites.com. AskGunQuestions.com is a website that we built back in 2007, and since then, for the last 15 years, people have been able to ask questions of simple to advanced nature, and we attempt to answer them in different ways over the years. Join us now as we start a new series to answer gun questions. Hey, welcome everybody to Ask Gun Questions. We, uh, as the intro says there, have been answering questions from the website for a long time. Normally I have uh, Clover and Tony join me, but evidently they're doing stuff today. So uh, we'll just uh, dig in and answer some questions. Uh, probably won't go as long as normal because you know, I'm gonna get one point of view here. So uh, I'm thinking throw some random one out, random uh, numbers out there between uh, let's say 200 and 400. Uh, we've got a pretty big blank spot there. Uh, and let's say 200 and 500. There's a whole bunch of blank ones in there, and we'll just hit some of these random questions. So we go live on Saturdays. I invite Tony Simon and Clover Tack in, and we uh, address questions that have come into that website this week. You know, it's a weird week. It's New Year's Eve. So uh, I guess I'll hear about myself. 333 from Crab Turtle. Thanks. So let's see. So can you run a Surefire Warden if you have a 13.7 AR-15 with a 13-inch handrail? So I guess what they're asking is if you can run a Surefire Warden, which must be some sort of a suppressor. If you have a uh, AR-15 with a 13.7-inch barrel and a 13-inch handguard, seems kind of a odd size, at least as far as I know. But uh, the reason they're asking is probably because it looks like the warden is a little tiny uh, device. I don't even know if this is a can. So it's a blast regulator. Let's take a look at what's going on here. So I'm trying to see if Surefire has got a website here. I don't see it, so I'm going to go back over here. But uh, Surefire News, let's take a look. So this looks like it came out in 2001. At least that's when this article was written. Uh, maybe this happened to you. You're shooting at the bay. All of a sudden, you're whacked by the ear-splitting sound of the person next to you with their brake or whatever. It's unpleasant, I guess. So you have your pro on. If you can't handle muzzle blast, then maybe you shouldn't be crying about muzzle blast. Anyway, whatever. So you probably already knew muzzle brake, blah, blah, blah. You might also know blah, blah, blah. So this goes over a brake, essentially, and blows air forward or blows the stuff forward. 
not a suppressor, nor is it designed to mitigate a rifle sound signature. That said, it's also not regulated by the NFA, so it's available wherever. And let's see, like all the products, it's built to last a lifetime. Stainless steel heat treated and every bit is durable. So it effectively redirects the sound without adjusting the sound. And typically when they do that, they have some sort of uh, testing, uh, stupid ATF will do to discern if enough dB decibels are affected or not in this case, so that it doesn't become an NFA item. So you can kind of see that it's just got a bunch of room in the front. It's got a kind of a can shape and it attaches with the Surefire attachment method, which is pretty awesome, the fast attach. I guess there's two versions of it. So let's see, since it's a mere three inches long, it adds about six ounces to the weight. Do, do, do. I don't know if it says anything. It tells you what pitch, half inch by 28 or five eighths by 24, as far as the um, threading on the end of the muzzle. But I don't see anything in here that says anything about don't use it on this or only use it with certain length of stuff. So what I'm gonna do now is head into their products. Are you kidding me? This is how you have to get to their stuff. Oh, Surefire News is a uh, separate website. So we'll just go to surefire.com. Assuming that's their website and it is, and we can go to shop and we'll go to muzzle devices. And what was that thing called a warden? Muzzle break. So where is this word and thing? Do these not make it anymore? So these are literally just muzzle bases. So we're gonna go to oh, what do they call it then? Parts. All products. All right, there it is, 170 bucks, 250 with the blast regulator, or I mean with the uh, fast attach. Non-NFA, pristine machine, or precision machined out of stainless, heat treated and coated with the Cerakote, direct threads available. Muzzle mm -hmm. device, key attributes, features, all features manufactured in USA because it's Surefire. Uh, I don't see anything in here that talks about any kind of use or indications of any kind of barrel. So I imagine the issue would be on a short barrel that you'd have more pressure, more energy coming out of the muzzle than on a uh, longer barrel. And that potentially this thing could pop, but uh, I'm going to say, in my opinion, I think it'd probably be just fine. Surefire is pretty awesome. 13 is not a short barrel. I mean, it's kind of short. It's only short legally. It's not really short in physics. Uh, there's way shorter barrels than that. And I've seen cans on way shorter barrels than that. And uh, I'll go ahead and answer that one answered. So now we'll take another question. We got uh, 333. And if anybody else has a question between like 200 and 500, we'll just randomly hit them. Uh, Mike, I'll say, so just say hey to everybody that's out there. Mike White was the first one to say hey. 545 by 39 is out there. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good 
morning, wherever it might be where you're at. And when you're listening to this, Krabby Turtle is the one that just asked about or just threw out 333 for that last question. Tons and Barbecue is out there. Good afternoon. Oh, he's over on the Daily Gun Show side. Thanks. I always simulcast. I don't always, but I often simulcast the shows on two different channels. I don't know why. Probably a bad idea. Uh, let's see. Plain Nut is out there. Glad to see everyone will keep me company while I strip down my Mossberg for the first time. Oh, okay. And, uh, oh, I see. And then Six Thumb on the other channel right on. Glass is out there. So if y'all have any questions, feel free. I'm just here by myself, but I can answer them. I can answer them better than them other two. I only bring them in here so that you hear two wrong answers all the time, and then I give you the right answer. But otherwise, pick a number between 200 and 500, and we'll answer that question. Uh, let's see. Let's go to 545, I guess, since uh, even though you're not asking that question, it's technically in, in your thing. So 545. I'm looking for a Remington model 71270. Okay. Oh, looking for a bolt for a Remington model 721270. So here's how the English language works. I don't care. Good, good for you. But if they were said something like comma, can you point me in the right direction? Or can you help? I guess maybe that's implied. So Looking for a bolt for a Remington model 721-270. I'm guessing 721 is the model. And then 270 is a caliber. So we're going to go up here and drag model Remington model 271 up here. And we can see it's on Wikipedia. We got Reming, Rem Arms, the Remington website. Do they sell stuff? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe you could talk to them, I guess. Let's see, Support Safety Center Modification Program. Uh, once the can, you'll be notified the youth's trigger assembly, or whatever, all were manufactured with a bolt lock mechanism. These models were discontinued in 1961. If you participate, your firearm will be cleaned and inspected and qualified. Once the condition has been assessed, you'll be notified of the following. In either case, the total cost to you is $20 plus shipping and handling. You'll receive a safety. Okay, so your trigger's assembly is otherwise in good operating condition. Physically remove the bolt feature so that your rifle can be loaded and unloaded while the safety remains on. Or your rifle's trigger assembly will be found unsatisfactory or potentially unsafe because of any number of factors, including wear. The entire trigger assembly will be replaced with a new one, which does not incorporate the bolt lock. So it looks like for 20 bucks you can send it back to Remington in New York, and they will uh, repair parts of it. Will they repair the rest of it? I don't know. So let's see. How can you find parts at one of these places? Anybody ever look for parts on a uh, manufacturer's website? Reach us safety, history, warranty. Either Remington has elected not to provide any written warranty rather than to attempt to comply with provisions of the something act of regulations there are certain implied warranties under state law to respect to sales firearms returned for service will be evaluated to determine if service was will be provided free or at a fee so you could just send it to them it sounds like and who's better to fix your remington rifle than remington but if you got some issue with that then i guess you would write in bolt into the search engine and then you're going to find wikipedia remington again ebay 
interesting. So if you go to eBay and search for a Remington 721 bolt, looks like it's 300 bucks, 325 bucks. All right, well, that solved your issue. You're welcome. We'll go ahead and highlight that one. You could probably go to Gunbroker and other places if it's on eBay, right? Boom. So now we've got uh, question 380. Thanks. Ravi Turtle throwing that one out there. Uh, let's see. Oh, I think we may have done the calibers already. Nope, we didn't. All right, so number 380 is, will with Dan Wesson, will a 357 Super Mag barrel swap with a 357 Magnum? Uh, no, what the hell? So let's go find out. 357 Super Mag. Well, I guess I don't know what that is, so we're going to go find out. I was thinking a 357 Maximum, so let's go find out what 357 Super Magnum is. What is it, just a gun? Oh, I thought it was a caliber or something. So if it's just a gun, no, here's a Dan Wesson Super Magnum, and then here's a, oh, no, these are all Dan Wesson Super Magnums. Okay. So then what's it saying? Well, a 357 Super Mag barrel swap with a 357. I gotta go find out what this Super Mag. A Super Magnum is a longer and more powerful version of a Magnum. Really? Okay, so there is a 357 Remington Maximum. Well, I know about that one based on the 357 it is virtually identical to the 357 Super Mag with only slightly shorter overall case length. Well, come on, man. So I guess uh, in the 80s, Dan Wesson began to fire or began to produce revolvers chambered in the 357 Super Mag. Huh. I didn't even know about this one. So now I got a new caliber to look for out there. All right. Well, so. Anyway, this, if this was cylinder, I'd be like, I don't know. But uh, well, there you go, some kind of a drugs. Oops, I just linked to drugs. What, are, what were you doing? What was all that noise? Where are you going? Where were you going to just walk off to, by the way? Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, so I'm going to say, yeah, I guess. Oh, will it fit? I have no idea. Will it be overpressured or break or anything? Doesn't sound like it. It sounds like the Super Magnum uh, is more powerful than the regular Magnum. All right, come on, Derek. So, I guess we'll answer that one. It's not really great, but we're not lawyers or gunsmiths or reloading experts. All right, so seeing if any other, we've got 767. Let's see if that one shows up here. We've already done that one or not. I think we're up to 767. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, we already did that one, though. 767 was the minimum length of a shotgun barrel without an 18-inch, or without an NFA. Why? Where did that come from? So that's interesting. We answered that one really well. It was one of the best answers we ever came up with. So we just did question 380. If anybody wants to uh, suggest a question, then we'll go in and do that. Otherwise, I guess I'm going to go up to random. 
Oops, that, not that one. I don't know what that was. We don't know what it was either. Random. I'm getting all the bad websites today. All right, so this random.org is what I'm looking for. And we're going to go between 200, oh, come on, 200 and 500. Glass is saying that 357 Super Mag is about three tenths longer than 357 Magnum. Barrel is the same diameter, but it will not fit in cylinder because of case length and a standard 357 cylinder. That question was about the barrel, so I would agree with you. And I would figure that since 357 maximum is way longer, like it's a lot longer, that I'm guessing 357 Super Mag is somewhere in the middle. Three tenths of an inch sounds like actually quite a lot. So I can see why that wouldn't fit in there. Hey, there's Tony. Good afternoon. Hello? Hey, what's on? What's up, man? Hey, not much. I didn't know if uh, we said last week if we were going to be going this week, so I just went ahead and scheduled the show. So thanks for being Oh, heck here. yeah. Uh, yeah, I just got back. I uh, had to run to out, do some stuff. I guess you're allowed to do stuff once in a while. So uh, we've just been randomly hitting questions here. Uh, barbecue just threw question 329. So I've just been kind of randomly jumping through the list just so we don't eat up all the recent questions there by when I was here by myself. Let's see. So 329 is... What is the height, length, and width of the barrel shroud on an MG42? Oh, well, that's 47 centimeters by 37.5 centimeters by 270.75 centimeters, if I remember correctly off the top of my head. I don't even know what it, what's an MG42. Is that the uh, one of them German giant belt-fed guns? Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah. So who cares? It's yeah. a German gun. I worry more about like if my 30 odd six would go through it or if I should aim a little higher and shoot for his neck. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know that one. No clue. That's funny though. So let's see. That was uh, barbecue. Sorry if that one, I don't know where that one came from. So we, you know, we, but I'm, let's see when that one was even from. 327 was from a while ago. That was from 2018. So it was probably back when we were answering these questions during the Daily Gun Show, and somebody might have been asking at that point. You know, it's hard to say. Sometimes they'll watch a video or something and then type that into the Internet and somehow get our website and then ask. And they think because they typed it into the Internet that we're somehow the best people to answer, you know. So anyway, we get some random stuff. That's great. All right, so the next one is 382, I guess. Let's just pick in the random. So if anybody wants to pick a number between two and 500, we're just hitting some random ones in the middle here. So this next one is 382. I have a Stevens crack shot, model 1915. Well, you already should have had Clover here for this one. Does the lever drop down when the hammer is cocked? It stays in place when the hammer is not cocked. Uh, hold on, I got to get to where I can read this thing. I have a Stevens crack shot, model 1915. Does the lever drop down when the hammer is cocked? It stays in place when the hammer is not cocked. Only when it's cocked does the lever want to easily drop down. Oh, at first I was thinking bolt action, so I'm guessing this is a uh, lever gun. Yeah, definitely a lever, lever gun from back in the day. 
Oh yeah, it's a uh, it's like a falling block or something. I don't even. I mean, it's got a lever on it, but it's some falling block looking thing. Um, see, that's interesting. So when you get to these old guns, there's no Wikipedia to just tell you all about it. So Stevens or rolling block action, eighteen or twenty inch round barrels. So I've played with rolling or with falling blocks before. Mm -hmm. But I have, I mean, I've seen them taken apart, but nobody's ever given me a really expensive gun and said, go fix this. You know what I'm saying? And I guess I could have had like a broken one to fiddle with, but I just never happened to have done that. So I'm going to go to images here. Have you ever put fiddled with falling blocks? Uh, only only had one. Fiddle with it, no. What we did was uh, we had it at our kid's shoot. Uh, it was a rolling block 22 LR. And uh, I was able to send some rounds in it. Uh, between kids showing up, you know, to run the gun. I thought it was really cool, but I really can't answer any any functionality questions other than, yeah, I mean, I dropped it, I popped it in place, and then locked it back up, and it fired. I mean, I, I didn't even know what the question was because I had to look it up first. <clears throat> so they, they asked something about, what, the uh, lever itself? I guess what, so I, don't, I was trying to find a good picture of how that, le how a falling block works. So essentially you've got your barrel. And in this case, the back of the, the end of the barrel is the chamber. And then with a falling block does is the, the part where the hammer would come forward or a striker fire type of thing where the firing pin would come forward and hit the primer of the cartridge. That part just drops out of the way. It falls down like where a magazine would be in a pistol or something. So as you move the lever, you're dropping the action out of the way. And now your single barrel chamber is exposed or yeah, chamber is exposed. So you can, I guess some of them will extract the round as they drop, but otherwise you kind of pick it out of there with a knife or something. You put in the fresh round. And then when you close the lever, it essentially brings the block back up into place. You pull the hammer back and then it hits that striker. I don't know the names of those stuff in that action, but you know, it's kind of a simple yet, interconnected it's not like a lot of moving parts but this is back in the day when they were still figuring stuff out and and they were almost like art more than machines because you know they fiddled with them or they had more time on their hands or something i don't know they designed differently back then so as far as the action the way that it works like i haven't i mean i guess i might have fiddled with one technically but i can't i don't know the operation of it so i guess when what they're saying is when they pull the hammer back the lever disengages and as long as it doesn't drop the block, then it probably isn't going to be a big deal. I would hold it closed instead of letting it dangle. But I would say that's probably an indication that it's broke or something's loose or something's worn. Because I can't imagine anybody would create something where you had to hold the lever closed in order for the gun to operate. That just doesn't make any sense. So, Yeah, it's kind of weird. <clears throat> I mean, and understand that you're dealing with something that's almost 100 years old. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think that was like a modern, that wasn't like a brand new idea at the time. That was just another take on an old uh, simple action or something. So we're not answering that one definitively, but uh, let's see. Does the lever drop down when the hammer is cocked? I guess that should have been a partial question. It stays in place when the hammer is not cocked. Only when it's cocked does the lever want to easily drop down. So again, I, I don't know the operation, but lever guns and these drop and these uh, falling blocks and rolling blocks and stuff, they 
they have different operation than we're used to because they're just, you know, they operate differently. So um, they don't have to reciprocate like a bolt does. They do other things. They kind of move out of the way. They wiggle down. They, they do these like cams and stuff. Like they're not normal like we're used to. Sometimes they're kind of like a machine gun. Machine guns do a lot of these weird like pull backwards and then up. You know, they use like a triangle shape gear instead of a round gear. So things move and multiple directions or move out of the way of other things. And that's sort of what's going on in there. So if a pin is gone, a pin gets worn, what'll happen is something is loose when it shouldn't be, but without really being intimate with that operation, you're gonna need to just talk to somebody who is. And it's probably a simple enough thing that a gunsmith who's ever dealt with it'll be able to diagnose that. So I don't think that one is super unique, but I would, you know, you're probably gonna have to call around a few gun shops, gun, sh gun uh, smiths before you get the answer to that one for real. But as soon as somebody knows, they're gonna know. Cause whatever's happening to your hundred year old gun happened to, you know, six, 60% of the old guns. So it's a common thing, I'm sure. At least I can't imagine too many things that have happened on old guns that people who are in the know don't know about. Let's see, we got another one, 408. What's the difference between the 22250 cartridge and the 22 Hornet? Which one is more powerful? That's an interesting one. Have you dealt with any of these two? No, not at all. Um, I just thought it was in the 22250 was interesting. Uh, let me see if I'm right. 22250. I'm typing in 22250 versus Hornet, and there's literally a forum post about it and another forum post about it. So it must be a, a common question. Which one is better? Another one about it? I knew there was, uh, the 22250 was actually used by the military, uh, British Special uh, Air Service and Australian Special Air Service. Hmm. So uh, it's like a competitor to 556? I think because it's used, uh, probably flatter. Use uh, they have 55 grain, uh, they have 60 grain boat tail doing 3,500 feet per second, uh, and actually a 40 grain can do over 4,000 feet per second. So I'm assuming it's just a flatter shooting over a longer distance and maybe be affected by wind less. This says the 22 Hornet versus the 22 Magnum. The Hornet was introduced in the 30s, designed to be a varmint round because it had accurate low recoil. The Magnum, on the other hand, was designed to be self-defense, has more recoil and more powerful. So then, okay, well, the 22, Okay, this is worthless. It's just not the 22 Magnum, really. But at least that tells us that the 22250 was designed to be a varmint round, right? Oh no, that's yeah, that was the one. Uh, da, da, da. No, that was started out as a Wildcat 250 3000 Savage case, neck down to a 224 caliber bullet, point two two four caliber bullet. So unless the 22240 is or 250 or whatever is super weak, then I can't imagine 
let's see the i'm a big fan of the 22250 it has the oomph for long range varmint well maybe it is just a faster shooting 22. you said they used it in the military for urban yeah it's, it says right here urban counterterrorism because i know the philippines also use something like that uh a fast light round like this with their military too i thought it was 22 250 maybe it, i mean it's definitely another one it's another 22 caliber very fast round that we'd call a barrel burner because it does over 4,000 feet per second but i mean we're talking this thing is like what 1500 foot pounds of energy at the barrel between 1,500 and 1,700 foot-pounds of energy at the barrel with these things. And then I can't imagine Hornet is anywhere near that if it's less than 22 Magnum. So if it's asking which is too powerful, it's hands down 22 250. It's designed to do work at distance, and 22 Hornet is designed to be a weaker 22 Magnum for varmint hunting. It's just a little bit fat, flatter shooting than 22 Magnum, I guess. Oh, and, and yeah, and less than half the power. Okay. <clears throat> That's interesting, though. I never even thought about, I don't, I guess I zone out. I hear like Charlie Brown teachers when people start talking ballistics most of the time. I really like mm -hmm. bullets. Like, I think bullets are cool. I don't know why I like the bullets. <laughs> I like the projectiles and stuff. But when it comes to shooting them and the boring ballistics and stuff, I, I don't have as much interest in it. But um, I never thought about using something. I'm assuming the 22-250 is 22 diameter, but it must be a longer, bigger bullet than 22 Magnum, so it's still got some energy downrange if, it, if they're really using it. Yeah, I'm trying to look at the overall length of it. Wow, 22 short, 22 long rifle, 22 Winchester Magnum, and 22 Hornet. Okay. Okay, so we got some actual people that know what's going on out here. So Barbecue is saying, a friend of mine shoots 22-250 for precision rifle shooting i think he changes out barrels every 2000 to 3000 rounds so that's crazy normally like an ar or something it's more like 10000 rounds if you're being cautious and some people shoot 20000 rounds through a barrel before they notice anything you know because they're just not that great at shooting at it so 2000 is a fifth you know that's five times more than a regular barrel i mean that's somebody who's actually trying to be worried about competition and still but yeah still that's a lot of speed that's a lot of stuff that's happening friction and whatever ron wayne is saying 2250 is a lot bigger than 22 hornet it's about yeah. the limit is my knowledge. yeah because oh, I, he's saying that's the one thing he knows is that it's bigger i gotcha because i, got you. I uh, <clears throat> okay uh i like a lot i have a lot of different lights when it comes to firearms and firearms related stuff I mean, I, I can easily fall down a rabbit hole, <laughs> like ridiculously so. So uh, that's where I heard about 22-250 and other things because I was watching someone shoot, what do you call those things, prairie dogs? And, uh, you know, you'd get a table out, you're sitting in the middle of a prairie dog town, and uh, they're small targets that don't stay still for very long. So you need a flat shooting fast round because they'll learn to duck when they hear the round go off. So you want something quick enough that it hits them before they hear the, you know, the report of the rifle. Mm -hmm. And and that's where I heard about stuff like 22-250 and I also watched a guy in England because you can use wild rabbits in England in restaurants. So he would go around to farms, the farmers would hire him to shoot rabbits. And then he'd take the rabbits that he harvested 
and sell them to restaurants. And he was talking about the difference between uh, using his suppressed 22 long rifle that uses supersonic rounds to using a 17 HMR and how the rabbits would hear the 22 LR coming. You know, when you, when the rifle go off, they'd all duck a flinch and he had more chance of missing. But with the 17 HMR, they don't identify that sonic crack with a gun going off because the rabbit is down and then they hear the crack. And he was like, he was like, I guess they think it's, lightning or thunder or thunder or something but they don't associate the two i'm sorry <clears throat> the 22 is slower they'd hear the sonic boom and then the rabbit would go down and they'd associate those two things together but vice versa with the 17 hmr i've uh, got a couple of questions coming in that are my real questions coming in live and then some other uh, um, suggestions for numbers there. So I think that one was 408. We'll do 500 next, but I was going to say to 545 that uh, 454 has already been answered a while back, I guess. That one was why do magazines have an angle then like the very 50 at the end of the mag? It has like an angle. Why the pick from images but okay so anyway uh we answered that one i guess a while back but that's because most firearms are tapered or else they have uh, a uh, shoulder so the projectile end is a little short, smaller around than the other end uh, for that reason and because of the way they feed and stuff they want them to be at a little bit of an up angle so even if they don't have a taper they're going to want them to be at a little bit of an up angle so they'll typically build the throat or the body of a magazine to facilitate the shape of the fire or the shape of the ammo stacked, you know, 10, 20, 30 deep, and that'll create a curve. So it's more pronounced on the bigger, well, the guns that have larger bullets and the more magazine, more rounds in the magazine. So that's why you see it so much on the 50s, even though they have just like 10 rounds or something in them. And then sometimes it has to do with the physics, or I guess physics of the magazine or the spring, I guess, the spring of the magazine. So if you had that thing pointing straight up, it's probably not the same torque or something as if you had it kind of towards the, I want to call it like the front end of the magazine, the toe or something of the magazine, pushing towards the primers. Maybe that applied force is better off, you know, because they don't know when they're building that thing, what angle the gun's going to be in. So anyway, I think there might be some, I don't know if that's called physics or if that's just design application or whatever. There might be some manufacturing reason for it. I don't know if it's manufacturing, but you know what I'm saying. I think there might be some other reason for it besides that. I don't know, if Tony, if you got any other answers to that one. Not really. I was just listening to you because I was just thinking the reason is that angle. <clears throat> um, I don't know. I mean, I'm figuring just has something to do with geometry and feeding it into the barrel. Uh, like consistently without having a really long, even longer action. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So it doesn't have to go all the way to the back. If it can go at some kind of an angle, it probably can conserve some space. All right. So I guess we'll go with real questions. Uh, Chicago Mike is asking, what are your thoughts on the high point 10 millimeter? I only learned about it yesterday, so I don't know when they <laughs> announced it. They haven't really announced it. 
um, they gave it to people and let them come out with it and, and allowed them to start talking about it this week. Uh, I saw Range Hot's video. I was the first person I saw that had one. And then I just saw uh, Kentucky Gun Company, I think it's called, has a video out today. And uh, Vance, which is in Ohio. Uh, it's a gun shop in Ohio with a YouTube channel. So I watched oh, really? theirs today. Yeah. I've been to that shop. They have a couple of locations. I think I've been to one with Pink Linton. Okay, yeah, they have one and they ran it. Uh, I think it looks good. I think it really does look good. They've changed the, uh, it looks like a Walter Creed. It really does look like a Walter Creed. Um, they got a little hump in it. Uh, they have the laser stippling with the new high point logo. Uh, just small high point logos all over the pistol grip. Uh, what else? Uh, they changed the, the um, shape. They've changed the shape of the uh, slide itself, and they put uh, forward serrations on it. Uh, they did some of the th same things they're talking about doing on the YC9. They did on this, which has a front sight, is actually a Glock front sight. So you can replace the front sight on the new high point handgun with a Glock sight. I think the rear sight's still high point. There you go. Oh, so it's on their website already. So, um, Mm-hmm. So it's the JXP nine? No. JXP ten, I guess. JXP. Just JXP. What is JXP? You know? Uh I guess um because JCP is the forty and uh I forgot what the forty five is. Um they just have the letters. I'm I'm assuming the X means ten. Ah, yeah, that makes sense. I see what you're saying with the uh Kind of stippling slash work mm -hmm. with the high point logo. It's pretty nice. They and put then, a real pick rail on it, also. Not a proprietary crazy high point pick rail. It doesn't work with anything. I don't know why my thing is being weird and it's shoving it over to the side here. I don't know why I <laughs> there we go. Uh, I don't know if that's coming up very good, but um, I mean, I don't really care one way or the other, but I know that that's going to be one of the biggest deals of SHOT Show. What yeah. do you think this compared to the Yeet Cannon? Is which one's more important, which one will have more impact? I think this will have more impact in the long run. Well, this will have more impact right now. Um, it'll probably have more impact in the long run because it'll allow people to get in the 10 millimeter uh, with a less expensive handgun. Uh, the Yeet Cannon is the one, the YC9 is the one everybody talks about and they want. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, just to be assholes, though, just to be sarcastic or whatever. They don't really care, right? Uh, I think some people want it just to be a meme. Yeah. I mean, exactly. because the gun doesn't cost a lot comparatively. Yeah, they're uh, just going to so, buy it and be weird with it. and like Yeah, take photos and do stupid stuff with it, and it's going to sit in the drawer. Yeah. Um, They'll mock it and, like, be sarcastic about it. And this thing is going to, let, like you just said, let, let a lot of people shoot 10. Well, what's, do you know what the price point is yet? Uh, look, I'm, I'm not going to know the oh, price yeah. point. $225. $225. That's what I'm saying. Yep. $25. Uh-huh. I was going to say, but it's definitely going to be around the $200 price range because they, I know the owner of High Point. I, I'm, I consider myself friends with, with the people that run it. And they know what they have. They, their mission is to get people into firearms as inexpensively and safely as possible. And that's why I say this is the lowest price brand new handgun 
that I would recommend for around a $200 price point. This is it. I mean, I've, I've got over, I know it was over 3,000 rounds through my JCP, which is the 40 cal version. Um, I've written reviews on it. I give the pros and the cons. It makes no difference if I'm friends with these people or not. Uh, I'm going to tell people the truth about it, you know, this thing that could be used as a life-saving tool. But I don't think most people own high points as a life-saving tool. I think they just get well, it because they want an expensive gun. Uh, no, well, I mean, the people maybe. you talk to maybe, but I can tell you from hanging out at a gun shop for whatever number it okay. is that, yeah, a lot of people are like, I need a gun. We'll look for because of bears, because of cats, because of my neighbor, because I'm scared, because whatever. I want to go target shooting. Like, I want to collect a gun and I want to buy one. I just feel like I want to own a gun. I want to exercise my rights. I mean, all those questions are really, I mean, all those reasons, I'm like, not even shitting. Those are all legitimate reasons that have come in. And there's people that just only have like 300 bucks to spare for it. Like, it's just not a big deal to them. Like, okay, good. You know, I could go buy golf clubs. Am I going to go buy a million dollar golf clubs because they're better? No, I'm going to go to the thrift store and buy golf clubs, right? Mm -hmm. you tell me I'm wrong? No, because if I get into golf, I'll eventually buy those nicer golf clubs. But you know what I'm saying? Like just same thing with guns. So mm -hmm. they're gonna walk in and they're gonna see that high point for hundred bucks and they're gonna buy it. And yep. everybody's first gun is either the first of a billion, right? Or the first <laughs> of two or three, or the only gun they're ever gonna buy. So, like I said, don't you can't yeah. So anyway, I, I yeah. would say that the majority of people that buy them are just looking for something inexpensive. So that means everybody who's 18 to 20, except for in states where they've made that infringement. So everybody who just doesn't have money yet, right? Boom. So now they have something they can shoot with or whatever. Uh, now with the internet, I guess it's a little different because all my experience was like as the internet was growing. But, you know, like you just said, but now that there's the whole like memes culture and shit, you're right. Like uh, there are probably more people with disposable income buying the shit out of them. But in my day, the people that were buying them weren't buying them to put in a locker or like a practical third gun or whatever. Those people mm -hmm. were still buying a practical third gun was a used block, right? But those people that were like, I want a brand new gun that still has a warranty that I can know I'm buying a brand new gun. And plus with that kind of gun, with a gun that's not designed, well, actually I wouldn't say it's not designed to last forever, but it's not really designed to last forever. Um, it's got a lifespan. So with that kind of gun, you might as well buy it new. It's a $200 gun versus a hundred and 40 or something you might as well spend 60 dollars more and buy one that's got more lifespan in it but anyway so i would just say i would just hesitate and say i think most people that were buying it weren't playing around and i guess i'm talking myself out of it because i think you're right with the internet and stuff and people you can literally buy a gun for 200 bucks make fun of it on the internet and have 400 dollars worth of revenue from it it's sad and <laughs> It's just a nature of how it is. Nobody who's doing that has any awareness of the consequences or won't feel the consequences and don't think because they didn't feel the consequences, there will be none. But I can tell you from my research on the Saturday, just not Tony, but I'm telling the people that are listening from my research on the Saturday night specials, there's, that was a unique phenomenon. One of the reasons I'm so interested in it is because the guns were created by the 1968 infringements on imports. So the guns were created to, to supply the demand. And then somewhere in the, what I forget now, the 80s, one lady went and interviewed everybody. She wrote an article for like Mother Earth News or something about it. And then every single thing that happened since then was just referencing her article. No one in the, no, anyone who ever wrote an article since then ever actually talked to the sources. They only referenced her article. 
So she was massively influential in almost everything that's been written about the Saturday Night Specials. And in there somewhere, um, uh, you get uh, uh, gun, oh shit, what was it called? Gun reviews? No, it was a newspaper called, it wasn't Shotgun News, but it looked like it. It was called like Gun Tests or Gun Reviews or something like that. Gun Test, I know Gun Test, yeah. Okay, so it was called Gun Test and it was a bunch of FUDs that were snooty. And they would rag on all kinds of guns all the time if they didn't pass their shit test or whatever. So they had talked shit about the ring of fire guns in the same way that everyone used just her information and ran with it. Because it was written in a gun magazine, everyone who was anti-gun said, and even gun owners hate these guns. And even experts in the field hate these guns and say Mm -hmm. they're unsafe. And literally, those people who wrote that thought they were just talking to each other but they were letting every anti-gunner have ammunition to use against the future, right? So fuck that. People don't realize it. I kind of realized it when that afternoon on a Thursday, when I did that whole research, there's my story. On Thursday, I went out and shot the Phoenix Arms at the range. And on Thursday, I was editing the video. And in the video, I was like, wow, this thing is a horrible manual of arms because I thought I was Mr. Knowledgeable at the time. I you know, had taken a lot of classes. I was ready to go. I was practicing all the damn time. So I'm like, this manual of arms is dangerous. There's a safety on the frame. There's a safety on the slide. There's a magazine disconnect safety, and you can't take the slide off the thing without it having a safety engaged. So it's a really weird, and there's a chamber indicator, a loaded chamber indicator. Just every single safety thing, which combined, makes it a very unsafe gun to deal with because it's unique. It's like a combination puzzle or something to take it apart. (laughs) And I was like, what the hell? And as I was doing, I, wrote, I filmed a horrible review of it and I was a dick. And then I was editing the review and I'm like, I don't want to be the guy who rags on a gun. I'm going to go find out why they made this gun like this. And then I found out that Phoenix, the company, is actually Raven. They're grandchildren of the guy who created Raven. And uh, when the factory burned down, they rebuilt it. Therefore, it's called Phoenix, right? And they stayed in California. All the other small pistol manufacturers were literally run out of California because of infringements requirements that they had to put all these safety things on guns, making the guns useless. Well, Phoenix said, no, we're going to stay in California. Fuck you, California. And we're going to comply with all your stupid shit. And that's why these Phoenix, the new modern Phoenix guns had these horrible safety situations on them. And I went from ragging on them to discuss, I sat down and did a deep dive that weekend and came up with that 30 minute video. And I said, you know, it took me a couple of days to research and a couple of days to create the video. And then in there, I figured out that gun test had done what I almost did. They got online, well, they're not online. It was a newspaper at the time, but they publicly ragged on a gun with very little awareness of what their consequences would be. And instead of falling into that, I stopped myself, did some more research. Look, I mean, I'm not super wise or nothing. I just felt bad about making a bad video and hesitated did some research and said, okay, I'm never doing a a thing like that. I'm never going to contribute if I can help it to the anti's ammunition against us for a thrill, for a cheap laugh. It's, 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 it's not, you know, you got your first amendment, right? You can hate whatever you want. You can talk about hating it. You can not even hate it. Just think it's funny to to joke and shit, but you know, there's consequences. And anyway, I'm not, I'm not trying to rag on people that rag on guns, but they're just putting that out there. No, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm looking up to make sure it was gun test because I know I used to read gun test articles when they were online. And I'm just trying to find out if they were actually a magazine, too, because I knew there were like two out there back in the day that they could find in a gun store. 
one was definitely shotgun news because I'd go through it and, and look at it until it fell apart or my mom made me throw it out. And I couldn't remember what the other one was. But on guns on gun test website, they don't give their origin. You know what I mean? So I don't want to say it was them that was doing it, but I think it was. Anyway, I think you're right. And you've actually checked me on something I did once because of what could possibly happen with that material once it's released online. The negative part that, you know, could easily be avoided, especially for a meme or a joke. And mm -hmm. I also <clears throat> followed your uh, in a, uh, what do you call it? A 30 minute uh, video you did. I, I think it was cool because you found these ring of fire guns and followed them with the historical, the history behind them, uh, the story behind it, I thought was really interesting. And also because I am now a second amendment advocate only because pushback, you know what I mean? Like, like this is pushback on, on gun control in my state. I didn't say, well, I just do what I'll have to do. I'm like, oh, screw this. I'm going to fight you on this. So I really like those stories when somebody goes, yeah, I'm not leaving. You know what? I'm going to fight. I'm going to be here and I'm going to be here for the fight. Right. You're going to, we're going to be the consequences that you hope that we dis that we ignore or that we all leave. And the, the consequences are that you just take all the, what's left over. Like that doesn't work. We're going to stand here and show you that you're what, what you're doing anyway. Then anyway, that's a, <laughs> so uh there's a poll going uh what's the best since this is the last show of the year uh what's the best thing about 2022 and the options i put in there were the gun community growth second amendment wins the new guns that are out there or the new ammo that's out there so i think there's a couple of new calibers i'm going to call 30 super carry new but i think there's some other, i'm sure there's some new rifle calibers i'm not paying attention to and Anyways, and then potentially new brands of ammo or types of ammo. I guess I might have missed some of that, but there's always a new hollow point or some kind of new thing that people are into. Nobody's picked ammo, though. 17% of people have picked the new guns, and then, which I guess my audience isn't going to be a gun-focused audience so much as other things. But then 26% uh, gun community growth and 57% 2A wins. And I'm guessing that's due to the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association and consequent ass whoopings, but also some of the uh, California decisions that have been positive. Of course, three more states with constitutional carry. I guess we've had some decent wins. Uh, we've had some challenges to the atrocious, to the obnoxious, whatever the word would be for like the Oregon situation mm -hmm. and the New York situations. Unfortunately, y'all are getting wailed on in New Jersey and I don't think there's anything at least that we're aware of that's challenging or stopping that from happening right at the moment and then i think connecticut is about to get whaled on also there might be a couple other states is pennsylvania about to get or is it ohio some other state in the midwest i heard somebody saying that it's dire and they're definitely going to get assault weapons banned. i think it's ohio i think they have a new anti-gun governor Um, I guess uh, my opinion is if the opponents are better than you, then go ahead and give up before the fight. But if they're not, then I don't care how weak somebody or how strong somebody sounds. If they're weaker than you, who cares what they yell and scream about before they lose the fight? Because they're about to lose a fight. Yeah. I mean, that's what's happening in New Jersey. My whole thing was just never give up. I don't care. Uh, I think... Um, <laughs> 
You know how sometimes things can motivate you, like motivational posters and things like that? When I was in the Marine Corps, on the wall, I even forget where. I just remember it was hanging on the wall on somebody's wall. It was a picture of a stork or some kind of bird with a long beak swallowing a frog. But the frog had his arms outside of his mouth around the stork's neck, choking it. Yep. And it was like, no matter what, never give up. And it's like, yeah, one of them is going to win this. It's just who, who can hold on the longest. And I look at the second of them fight in New Jersey like that. Keep the fight up because the Bruin case gave us a winning chance. I mean, actually more than a winning chance. Bruin's case actually changed the law of the land. The saying the things that they put in our way, the restrictions they put on us to actually carry in the state. Also magazine bans and limitations. All of that now is kind of uh, waiting on a court case to knock it down. Two years ago, three years ago, you couldn't tell me that we'd have carry in Jersey. Now we do. I mean, it has a bunch of restrictions, but you can actually get your carry permit. And I think they put a pause on that whole law anyway. So, yeah, you can still carry. And once things in the and we don't live in a time when people have had an experience for this, but they have and they just don't associate it. But, you know, think of the marijuana situation. If you're not adamant or interested in the marijuana situation or paying attention to it or like an advocate for it, however the words are, you know, you may not be paying attention to it, but the medicinal and the recreational and the what's the other word decriminalization and those mm-hmm. kind of things have uh changed the laws or changed the whatever out there and what happens is it's not like uh a couple of states had whatever some version of lax lack less marijuana laws and then the rest of the states doubled down or something so they're just they're they're not uh recognizing what the other states are doing or they somehow think their state is so much different than all the other states. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think that stuff's losing ground and there's, there's nearly nothing for them to compare this to. It's, it's actually, it's uh, unique in its infringement and anyway, and you know, awareness removes that, but then, you know, they're going to be shifting and they're going to move until the money's gone until the drive is gone. You know, that'll be something that we got to, like you just said, we're just going to always have to be, to some extent fighting it yep the worst part actually is when it goes away like 14 was one of the worst times i thought not because it wasn't a good time for guns it was actually a brilliant time for guns but it was frustrating for me knowing what we could have done to rally troops and to gain solid position go uphill and own the hilltops instead you know we fought the battles we went down in the valleys and set up towns and cities and it's like eh. Why didn't we just go to the hilltop when we were at peace, when we could have got up there easy and then establish our stuff up there? So it's very difficult to ever come get us again. Instead, we fought them off from bothering us, you know, the ambushes and stuff, and we set up our towns and cities back in the valleys just waiting for another attack. That was the tough part. Hopefully this time when we, the, the people that win this will be the younger folks. At least they'll accept the challenge and, you know, they'll accept the victories. The older folks will be like, there's yet another battle that we won. The younger folks will be like, that's our first victory. We, we yeah. won it. We taste victory. And they won't just drop down to the valleys and make do, you know, live where they're not 
you know, where they can keep their heads down, they're going to say, no, we're going right up to the top and they're going to create a new aware, like a new normalization of guns. And it'll be really difficult for the antis to push on that, especially once you think about, well, I guess I'm not on a tangent, but you know, a, a world with normalized guns, mm -hmm. is a different place than we got today, for sure. Oh, I, I'm 100% with you. Uh, your year might be 2014. Uh, my year is uh, 2018. Uh, when, well, okay. when they had both the House, Senate, and the White House. I'm sorry, when did Trump win? 2018 to 2016? No, yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. 16, I think, right? So okay, like yes. 20, 16. 24, yeah, 20, 16. So 16 yeah. is when he beat Hillary, and, and everybody was like, oh, we're done. And then the bump stocks, and then everything else. Yeah, and I'm like, we're not done anything. We need to push now. We have, we have the whole, <clears throat> listen. No, you're yeah, right. And it's even worse because they all learned from 14. And instead of being like, whoa, we got to now that we got this next step, we should go to the hilltops. No, you're right. In 14 is when they should have seen the light and they didn't regroup and go to the hilltops in 16. You're 100 percent right. Yeah. No, no, no. It was and it was to me, it was frustrating as an advocate living in a state that I knew we couldn't win on the state level because of the way politics and gerrymandering and everything else is set up that we're always going to have a democratic majority and many uh, i can say most of the democrats vote for gun control in this state and too many republicans do so i knew the win wasn't going to happen here and had to happen on the federal level and now i'm trying to motivate people but the people who live in the free states and this is a, a massive generalization that might be unfair but many of the people living in the free states going hey we're fine here and then people, many people in the blue states are suffering from Stockholm syndrome. And they were like, oh, thank goodness, the final stop, it's on pause for now. And I'm like, okay, we have enough energy, dude. We, we have two years. Let's change this. Let's, let's push back. Let's go for the NFA. Let's go for the whole thing and not depend on a court system for the wins. Let's change the laws. And you no energy. Yeah, no energy, no energy from any of the states because they were all busy high-fiving each other because they had both houses in the White House. And I'm like, but you did nothing with it. Uh, excuse me, you did nothing with it to advance gun rights, in my opinion. No, you're right, except make a shit ton of money and, yeah. and, green, and green a paradigm that's dangerous and that we are suffering from. But you made it. Great. Well, I'm going to have to challenge. I don't know if I'm challenging it. So 14 mm -hmm. happened and then folks like yourself and I could literally sit here and list all the organizations that exist from 2015 on. There's yep. a shit of them. And it's because of what happened in 13, mm -hmm. which was the challenge. Okay. So 12 happened and that created a bunch of moms who were pissed because all moms were being, uh, it was the suggestion was that all moms hate all guns, period. Right. And that pissed off a lot of females. And they just said, wait a minute, I don't even know what guns are, but F you, Monsanto lady. So, mm -hmm. and then uh, 13 happened and grassroots resistance stopped any of that stuff from happening. And I keep saying that, but it was obviously a lot of people doing things. And those people that were empowered, emboldened, inspired, or motivated, or just had to react, right, did. And they either took their, their success was either seen by others and, and then they started organizations or the success sparked organizations or the success, uh, you know, in, uh, fast forwarded some of the organizations that were just there kind of not 
with it maybe without a direction or something. So again, there's a lot of them. Go reference Minuteman University and type in 2015 and see how many organizations started then. And that's for a reason, right? And then you get to 16 and everything you just said. And here's what's frustrating. In 14, a lot of the people, a lot of the entities figured out a recipe or a, a set of directions. And then in 16, they all just said, oh, okay, they, they filed it away instead of taking on the challenge or the opportunity to do what you just mentioned. And that's why I, I get so much, for, I, I'm, 14 originated the, the apathy or the lack of anything in 16. And okay, so if you were new to the scene in 16 and no one amped you up to do anything, you're not who I'm talking to. But the people who were minding their business in 12 experienced 13 and then figured out how to make a buck and sat there consent, content to make a buck through the Trump years without saying, hey, we're going to make 20 bucks and 10 of it's to get us a town on top of the hill or that fort on top of the hill. If nothing else, forward observers on top of the fucking hill, right? People that can call mm -hmm. in fire from the top of the hill, but get people at the top of that hill. If not everybody, at least get us on the top of that hill. Anybody who created skyscrapers at the bottom in order to see over the hill, well, I'm not going to try to be too crazy in this one, but you know what I'm saying? Like that's what happened. People decided to build skyscrapers because they had the resources and money and they could just do their stupid recipe over and over instead of actually doing some work and getting our ass up the hill. And that would have been an investment in the future. It would have been an investment in the community. But like Tony said, there's a hell of a lot of you can say you're going to take a lawsuit and you can file the papers and you can do nothing, but you can, everybody's going to respect you and everybody's going to give you a pat on the back because you filed a lawsuit. You don't have to even win the lawsuits. Same way we get mad at the anti-politicians uh, uh, anti for just swinging because they get credit if they land their punch or not. Well, you can say you're fighting, you're doing stuff with a lawsuit all day and night. And trust me, there's a couple of organizations who win with the lawsuits, and then every other organization is in their wake, ski, you know, skiing the, the the donation train behind that lawsuit. So each lawsuit that's successful, yeah, it's successful, but it also sort of conditions the the, the community that lawsuits are the answer. They're not the damn answer. Wayne LaPierre wasn't the answer, right? He was a good resistance for a while when lobbyists were necessary in the 80s. But as he worked today, I don't know, lawsuits are awesome with this whole, you know, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association and Heller and Miller, right? That's what got us to where we're going. But at the same time, we didn't take that hill. We, we built skyscrapers in the valley. Mm -hmm. I'll shut up without getting sidetracked or whatever. But <laughs> Well, it, it, it's frustrating when you talk about lost opportunity because we don't get a lot. I mean, truly, uh, <sighs> Watching people fight a battle on the defensive side only and then give praise to people that do hardly anything or take credit for the work others do is credit for the effect of the work others did. So it's like, hey, we we busted through this and let the light in. Oh, I grew a garden. Oh, you grew a garden. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's like. Especially, look, I, I'm talking about for me here. And then I saw the same frustration with Maj and Philly. I saw the same frustration with Phil Smith and Diana Mueller and, and Oklahoma. Like all of us in different parts of this country came up pretty much in 2015 going, obviously, these people are not going to do anything. I'm going to do it myself. 
um, moms, moms at arms. All of us started like the same time, dude, because the frustration level got so high. And I think you're right. Yeah. 2014 was, was, uh, well, not everybody was around in 14, 14 created 16 and you're right. And then yeah, it'd be interesting. I'd really, really like to take a giant whiteboard and have like a timeline, you know, generally from, let's say sometime in the past to today or tomorrow or the future somewhere, and then just start laying these different layers down. Cause you start thinking about the progress or the evolution of what we're talking about, like a thin line of second amendment aware activist slash like people getting stuff done or doing stuff in that realm. But at the same time, pistols were being developed. The brace, for example, is a big deal. And the mm-hmm. pistols themselves are a big deal. AR-15 and AK pistols. When those came to the scene, what, in like technically the 90s, but like in reality, 2004 and five, at first they were just there and then they became kind of a thing and then they became massive, right? And now they're a whole thing and there's braces and that's literally an NFA, uh, you know, lynch, linchpin or keystone, right? We could mm-hmm. we got suppressors and that whole thing. And all of that stuff has to do with a couple of things, the internet, right? Like how fast the internet was going, how many people were able to get online, like the people who got online and decided to take pictures of suppressors. Thank you. You're welcome. Right. Like the people that decided to do stuff with their cameras and then put that on the internet at the beginning of the internet so that the rest of the people could go, Oh shit, they're suck at that. I'm going to do it. Or like, Oh, that was cool. I'm going to do that too. Right. Or I'm going to do it with my, whatever I got to add, like that kind of stuff was all there and in and, and, and happening. But at the same time, internet was getting faster so that more people were on and it was getting cheaper and that kind of thing. But at the same time, the war on uh, terror, the global war on terror, which literally changed military, changed technology as far as military stuff, uh, changed like the way that we fight and the people that fight, the number of people and those people that were being rotated out. I mean, that was one of our longest uh, campaigns, 20 something years. So literally people their sons and their grandsons fought in that, right? So that means that many people are being rotated out with experience and awareness. And that means like anything, you've got people that want to essentially cosplay that or whatever that's called, you know, emulate that stuff. And, and when you get a hundred people wanting to have the same rifle that they used overseas, boom, they, you know, that creates industry and stuff too. So as soon as you get a bunch of people wanting to do stuff that you know, offend some people because of the way it looks like that creates a politics thing. Like it's crazy. How wouldn't it be neat to see like all those different things and then how they all add up. And I, I don't know if there's answers in there, but it was certainly like, you know, help explain why, you know, all of a sudden there's a million more AR-15 pistols. Now, you know, Karen is going to clutch her pearls and go, Oh my goodness, AR-15 pistols must be a problem. Yeah, that's, (laughs) That's something I've been actually talking about um, on my podcast and on various podcasts about that. I'm like, the news is trying to make you aware of this, you know, really powerful, deadly AR-15. I'm like, you know, the AR-15 is older than you are, right? Like, the AR-15 has been out there your entire life. The AR-15 was out there when your parents were teenagers. I'm like, so you need to think about somehow it might not be the AR-15 that's the problem. Uh, the ability to make ghost guns, which is ridiculous in the political term used to frighten you, has been here since the country was founded. I'm like, not asking you to believe what I believe, but I'm asking you to start thinking in a way, if it's been around that long, why is it a problem now? And why are they pushing it as if it's a problem now? 
Um, like because they've even had to change the definition of what a ghost gun was, i.e., a home built firearm, to include firearms that had their serial numbers scratched off just so they could get the numbers up, just so they can increase the number of instances that these guns were actually seized or found at crime scenes. They had to change the definition of what it was. They cannot be trusted. They're being disingenuous and they're manipulating you for a reason. So that's why I talk about a lot of this stuff when questions are asked in diversity shoots. I'm like, okay, here's an answer. I'm like, I have to be 100% honest with you because you'll Google everything I say as a, as a Second Amendment advocate, someone talking to you directly, having a conversation. You will fact check me, but you won't fact check the nationally syndicated talking head that gave you this idea that this thing is a dangerous thing without ever at being held accountable for the things they say, ever. You'll still watch Anderson Cooper, even though he's been caught in lies and telling half-truths and everything else. You'll still trust that talking head. But man, if I misquote a year, oh, see, see, <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Have you played with AI stuff at all? Not at all. So it's pretty neat. Like the AIs are essentially just nothing but logarithms. And a logarithm is like, you know, if this, then this, then that. You know, it's just some logic. And it's just interesting when you can, uh, you know, you make logic complicated enough, it, it emulates, um, you know, like higher function or something, right? That's how they can make things that don't have a lot of moving parts kind of, you know, seem magical like clockwork cuckoo clocks and stuff can look like they're alive what you know reality they're just doing some of the outward motions that give it that appearance right so it's the same kind of thing with ai it's not like it's magic it's just a bunch of uh code that is usually focused on a thing like sometimes it'll say take every picture that you've ever seen and listen to the commands here and the command might you know the, the input might be show me a picture of a cow standing on top of a hill in a snowstorm and it takes every snowstorm it's ever seen every cow it's ever seen and every hilltop it's ever seen it just attempts to combine them and then gives you a couple of samples like is this what you meant is this what you meant does this look right it doesn't know anything it's just taking a bunch of samples and putting them together so essentially it's a factor of how fast computers can get and how much time and effort we've got available in our computer brains to allow this to happen and right now it's very difficult for this work to get done with these large complicated equations or whatever you know with these big databases of files uh, so the bigger the smarter the ai is it just means the more files it has to reference or the more data it has to to use so that requires a big fancy computer and we have a couple of these big fancy computers so what people do is have time on the ai they don't really build a giant fancy computer to ask it one question you just go to the fancy computer and you ask it a question and it can answer your question and then the next person's question right so that's how people have access to AI now. There's fancy AIs out there, just like we all use all kinds of fancy computers partially when we use internet or YouTube and that kind of stuff. So you can go up to AIs that are open to the public and ask them crazy questions and stuff and get some experience. So I'm just explaining this for people that have heard about AI and haven't or wonder by what its application is gonna be. So right now there's a bunch of content creators that are using AI to make images like Tony has seen because you did a kind of rebuttal to that. So I really don't know which one they're using, if it's a TikTok app or if it's a, a website they're going to or however they're interfacing it. But effectively, I think what they're doing is saying, 
uh, to the AI, they're saying, go look at every single picture of me, or they're giving it a bunch of pictures. I'm not sure how it works, but essentially they're going to take a bunch of pictures of that person, compare them, let's say, put them as transparencies over each other and take the median of all that. And then you can say, now give me the result in the style of the movie Frozen or the, the, in, the, in the style of the Minions from whatever that movie's called, or like a Smurf, right? Like you can tell the AI to do that and it'll attempt to do it, right? And then people giggle and they think it's awesome. Like, give me my pictures, except, you know, as a Smurf. And now they get a rendered version of the Smurf or whatever. So I'm explaining all this to kind of, again, to kind of show you that there's some interesting applications to AI and people are playing with it, but like anything, it's going to evolve, right? Eventually, what will I'm, I'm assuming one application will be is AI that's powerful enough and fast enough and with enough awareness, it'll be able to accurately determine if something's correct or not, right? Or if this person is saying the same thing again or whatever. And even if it doesn't happen in real time, if it's not like some kind of truth detector on a you know Star Trek um, button that we got to wear or whatever, but if it's something that people can apply to your, you know, go find out how, how correct Tony Simon is and the internet or the AI just goes and reads the entire internet and compares everything you've ever said with reality. And it says, yeah, Tony's correct 99% of the time. Now you've got this credential or this, you know, res respect like quotient or something. And if, if it goes that way, or if we get tools like that, or as tools like that are developed and used, what will that mean to the future? That means people will be able to have more like, maybe like a bunch of Vulcans talking or something. I'm trying to, you know, I'm using Star Trek as the thing here, but, you know, could we have a future where people are more accurate and more respectful in their conversation? And, you know, it's a better, more kind of useful future than a chaotic, frustrating one. I mean, we're like, at the beginning of this technology, where people riding around on those giant ass big wheel bicycles anywhere near like the people riding around on bicycles today, those old ass goofy cars where you had to crank them and shit and they were scaring horses. Is that anything like with the fucking cars we have today? Why would we think that the internet is done? Like, oh, this is the internet. Like we're the awkward youngsters using the internet and the old people cranking on the internet, right? All right, I'll shut up. That was a riff. Well, I just laugh. I'm laughing because if you come up with an AI that can determine that I'm the I'm right 99% of the time. My wife will destroy that thing like it's Skynet. <laughs> anyway, so I guess we went off on a tangent there. It has nothing to do with nothing. So uh, the next question, a real question, Plain Nut is saying, asking for my AR shooters, I'm new to the platform. Is it common for the buffer spring to make a noise after every shot? <laughs> but I hear that spring spring sound after each shot. You want to take it? Yes. Yes, it's 100% normal. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's one of those things that people say get on their nerves. So JP, uh, JP, what's, I don't know the rest of the name of this company. JP Enterprises? Yeah, JP Enterprises, there you go, has a silent buffer system um, that you can purchase that is, is expensive. Some uh, other companies have, uh, obviously made less expensive copies of that, but JP Enterprises has something called a silent buffer uh, system that you can use if that spring sound gets on your nerves. doesn't bother me because that's supposed to be there. That's how the thing's built, and I'm not dropping a hundred and a half just to get that sound not to be there. 
but yep, yeah, it's supposed to be there. Totally normal. What about dropping like graphite or something? I guess I don't think about it, but uh, is there something you can cram in there? Mm, not that I know of that won't affect, you know, how it may, you know, how it may affect the action. But again, it doesn't bother me. So I've never thought more deeply into it outside of they have a product that you can use if it really gets on your nerves. I mean, I don't hear it that much. So I'm thinking on an AR pistol, you definitely would hear it, right? Because there's nothing in the way of hearing it. But on mm -hmm. stocks, I think most of maybe it's just because almost everybody I know just about closes their stock and runs their nose up on their charging handle. So we just don't have a lot of receiver extension exposed. Yeah, for me, for me, I mean, I use uh, I use A1 or A2 stocks because I live in Jersey, so my stock has to be fixed regardless. So why purchase an adjustable stock if I have to still pay someone to pin it in place? Yeah, there you go. JP Enterprises Silent Capture Buffer Spring. Thanks a lot, Baron. Uh, so since Baron's out there, I don't know how many people, how long we're going to be doing this. Since it's just me and Tony, I'll just go until Tony gets sick of this. Um, there's nobody <laughs> after this. 23 doesn't have a show, and Brocchini isn't doing her show. I guess everybody's done for the year. So we're going to be doing another episode of our uh, patch pick your free patch thing so a bunch of people that have purchased stuff over at the gear website store are getting free patches we'll do a separate show after this one uh, so stick around uh, you're not you don't have to be present to do it if uh, the weekend ends and you haven't found one of the live things you know we'll just ask you what patch you want type of thing but uh if you want to jump into the live thing after this feel free all right so um the next question Oh, it's from Mike White saying, let's go to 500 next. And 500 is, where'd it go? How old might a five-shot Chrome 32 revolver be? Manufactured by Ivor Johnson's with no serial number. Okay, that's an interesting question. Um, you want to throw something at that one? Well, I mean, no serial number means it's pre, what, 68? And Definitely before pre-68, yeah. Yeah, it's pre-68 before the requirement of serial numbers. Uh, <clears throat> and then Ivor Johnson is a really old company, uh, as in, I think, 1800s, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know either, but yeah, a long, long time ago. Yeah, so it could be, and you say 32? So we could be talking about the turn of the century. We could be talking about that. 32 revolver, Ivor Johnson. Oh, this is not the same Ivor Johnson. Cut it out. <laughs> and I don't know if Ivor Johnson is a brand now. You know what I mean? Like if it's the same company or if it's the brand. Because a company sometimes will go out of business mm -hmm. and then some other company will buy it, but they'll keep the brand. So now it'll be the Ivor Johnson model or the Ivor Johnson line of they the so-and-so, right? So they that did. Ivor Johnson Arms, yeah. They okay. bought it out. Yeah. So sometimes you can tell from the name. So this says Arms and Cycle Works. I'm guessing that's the beginning because nobody, unless mm -hmm. they were bought by like Schwinn, right? They're not going to keep the cycle <laughs> part. But the thing is, a lot of gun companies and bicycle companies were the same for whatever reason. They use, must use the same machinery or something. Yeah, or I think it, 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 it might be the same skills. I mean, it's like right now, aeronautical companies and uh, yeah. making air, firearms. No, because of right. equipment. Mm -hmm. That's where uh, the Ring of Fire ones came from. 
airplane parts. So, That's why they're all in LA because they were making airplane parts and the airplane stuff moved to uh, what Seattle, I guess, or Texas or something. So yeah, they moved to horrible California laws. So horrible California laws made their industry leave. The industry looked for a new source and it was guns. So yep. thanks California for creating guns. They, they, the unintended consequences of them uh, infringing on people uh, has has made industries, has created movements. Congratulations, you idiots. You still haven't figured out yet. The more you screw up, the more we'll fight you and the more successful we'll be. Yeah, we'll just keep winning. Yeah. Um, without adversity, there's no room, for, there's no need to grow, right? Or no need to adapt or evolve. So, yeah. right, very true. I mean, if think about how crazy this is, I don't want to give them credit I, or nothing. I'd rather have no, 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 no. be self inflicted or self imposed. <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking about if they would have left, left us alone after the horrible shooting in Connecticut, I would still be, I would probably be looking for a job as a firearms instructor because COVID shut down where I was teaching at. COVID shut down the training at the range I was teaching at. That's all I was trying to do in 2012 was become a firearms instructor. Like I had no intention of being a, a advocate whatsoever. I didn't even know the name of the advocacy groups. <laughs> no, you're right. And it, and it had gotten, you know, the end of the assault weapons ban in four. And then there was the global war on terror. So a bunch of people were going over and getting familiar with firearms and coming back. And that means so-and-so cousin is over there and such and such niece is over there. And she learned how to shoot an M16. So guns were more normalized and nobody was afraid of nothing. There was no crime increase. In fact, it was a decrease. Uh, there was some issues with ammunition. Uh, I think that's about it, really. There was some like shortages due to issues, like just in the supply chain type of issues. And then mm -hmm. wars happening. I remember when Kalashnikov sold a giant, a ton of them to Venezuela, right? Guess what happened after that? But when they sold a bunch of them to Venezuela, remember that was a shortage. You couldn't buy Segas for a while. And that was a not, you know, it was just a, a market issue. They could only build so many guns and they were all being allocated full auto over to Venezuela. So that was an issue in our thing. And that's the kind of shit we were dealing with. Lame, stripe, you know, lame issues like that. And at the time, everybody was complaining. I can't believe Venezuela gets the guns before us. Oh, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's the end of everything. They're going to turn into you know, communists. Well, they did turn into socialists, but guess what happened? They failed, right? They, everybody was worried that they were going to arm them and, you know, the war, it's bringing them to the Americas and all this. Anyway, so you, you think we're calloused and whatever because we're, you know, I don't know. I think it's because we've seen lots of potential issues come and go and not everything is the end of everything. Yeah. Even it is. people aren't confident and there's still like options that happen. But anyhow, getting into tangents again. Um I was just gonna add to the revolver thing that um there's a thing called the blue book. Uh, uh, the uh mm -hmm. I can't think of the blue, name. Book, anyway, of guns. The blue book of gun values, yeah. Yep. And most every gun shop's got one and you can find the version of it online and i'll bet you can get a lot of that info from just looking in ivor johnson like we talked about the company might be have sold its name or something or gone under and gone and been, been rebought or something that all kind of information will usually be in the blue book and then that'll give you some idea they don't usually have pictures if i'm remembering right sometimes there's am i wrong i don't think there's pictures there's hardly ever pictures really it's all kind of a, maybe a description 
But what you'll end up with is, you know, maybe the ones before and after were four shot or six shot or the 22 caliber was a six shot, you know, so you'll, you'll kind of figure out at least what window it is. Um, but otherwise, you're going to probably be forced to checking out maybe pawn shops or certain gun shops. But a shop that deals with like ARs or the new CZs or concealed carry guns, they may have never even thought about a gun like this. And there's, I mean, I'm, I'm saying maybe 20% of the gun shops have never even considered a gun like this and you'd never see it in their shop. I don't know if that's all the gun shops because every once in a while a shop that you wouldn't suspect will take in a used gun like they are still a gun shop but they're not going to necessarily have it on the counter or in the case. They might and, do it on show or sell it to a friend or something. And understand, Ivor Johnson was, uh, what do you think, Ruger-esque level of guns back in the day? Oh, they were a tool, yeah. People definitely bought them. I don't know if they collected them, but they were, yeah, Ruger SIG. Oh, the reason I'm saying it is don't expect – that you're going to get a lot for him because it's not a Colt Smith and Wesson level uh, gun. It, it was a tool bought by people that, that purchased things like, you know, security guard, home defense, but they weren't <laughs> about that whole, I'm going to get the top of the line, yada, yada. It was like, no, I'm getting an effective, yeah, especially what was it? 32. They said. Yeah. 32. Yeah, and it would have been sold in the back of a magazine. You can look at magazines and they'll have the uh, Ivor Johnson. They'll have a guy on a bicycle shooting at a dog or whatever. Yep. <laughs> like the one, the carjacker guns. Yeah. Well, back in the day, you'd have mountain lions and dogs, I guess, viciously attacking everybody on a bicycle. I guess I could understand it. But oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, there was their hype. You know, was it like there was one mountain lion attack? So now everybody's buying a gun. You know, was there like one... I don't want to say one riot because it was actually a shit ton of riots, but you know what I mean? There's like uh-huh. one incident that they blow out of proportion. I'm not saying anything's blown out of proportion. In fact, it's more manipulated than anything else. We're seeing it from one side of the street. They're showing it to everybody else from the other side of the street. And then they're saying, both of you don't agree. You're both hate the other. You know, it's like, nah, quit. You know, anyway. Yeah, that's always <laughs> funny, right? <laughs> you guys disagree, so you must hate each other. Not really. No, <laughs> calm down. But uh, I think the 32 uh, was probably, yeah, like a, a solid gun. But the thing is, they also were shot for 100 years. And mm-hmm. how many times did somebody empty that thing and go click, 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 click while they're watching a TV show or something? So these things yep. are usually worn out. <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> or became that closet gun uh, that uh, the kids would get out, empty it, and play quick draw cowboy with it. And then load it and put it back. So, you know, the uh, firing pen is all just nicked up. Oh, also, uh, when you're looking at Blue Book of Guns, I think they use that whole NRA, uh, uh, what's the thing, grading system. And uh, uh, the grading system. And uh, just just assume whatever you assume your gun is, do it one place below that when you're looking at the prices. Yeah. Because people always overestimate how valuable or how good looking their guns are, especially when they're looking up values and want to sell them. And, you know, that would be actually kind of cool. Now, there might be something. I just haven't seen it. But a cool shop or a large enough shop or maybe somebody who can go around and make it happen or definitely collectors could do this. But do like uh, whatever the gun might be, because I think it would be cool to do it for different guns instead of just an old revolver. But you could do it for just like an old revolver. 
but basically do what you're saying. Have one that's a 50%, one that's a 60, one that's a 70, and then pe like show people like it has to be immaculate, never even been hardly touched by human hands to be here. And then mm -hmm. it has to be touched by human hands to be here. Like, and then you can get some rust and then it can be tarnished a little, you know, but like that would be kind of interesting because often people look at it and they see all like, well, it's still there. It's all in one piece. It's got that, it doesn't have that much rust, but they don't know what a good one can look like. Yeah, it's it's all there. All the parts are there. Uh, 95%. No, no, it's not. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it's crazy, and you're right to, to get that that what is it very good? It has to almost be in the box new. And the problem is there are still ones like that because gun shops will just have them, and people literally buy guns as investment, and just buy them. Never they might not even ever open it to check the serial number. Literally just mm -hmm. trust that it's good to go. Comes a gun shop, everybody else looking at it, and they just put it in a shelf or put it in a vault or whatever. But I'll tell you right now, more than likely it wasn't an Ivor Johnson, only because, again, these were working guns. Not many people are buying a Ruger um, Security 6. Well, actually, I take that back. A lot of people have Ruger Security 6s, but I don't think a lot of people bought them as investment pieces. Like Colt Pythons as investment pieces, as you buy it, I get it. The entire snake family. But nobody's going to go, ooh, i got to get that GP100 put it in the safe, in the back of the safe. You know what I mean? Yeah, because there was the gun that you carried around, the gun you took to work, mm -hmm. right? your, your, your commuter vehicle. And then there was the car you took around on weekends or if you were going to the movies with your drive around. And maybe if you were comp shooting competition, you had your dragster or your, like, you know, your hot rod. And uh, yep. you know, then you had maybe a pickup. If you were going hunting or something, you took your pickup. Right. So you'd have these just like now you got these different levels of guns and the Ivor Johnson is definitely your daily driver or you're like, I'm going to leave this one at the shed or at the hunting cabin or something. I'll mm -hmm. leave this one at the hunting cabin. Yeah. Um, I mean, because I really think the whole nickel plating, besides being good looking, I think it might also help with uh, corrosion resistance, right? Yeah, especially on the way that they could treat guns back then. Yeah, they didn't have the kind of processes and alloys i don't think so that was a yeah it was a, either this or you had to oil your gun constantly and they all knew from the old days we're all talking we, we never think about the people that were buying guns in 1915 weren't mm -hmm. like should i get the cz or the <laughs> <Ivor> johnson <laughs> it was like the ivor johnson or nothing or the colt that costs like 300 bucks or whatever yeah like significantly more than ivor johnson or um, something that maybe somebody in italy was making in a shop right yeah, I have a I have a casing stuck in my nine millimeter um, upper for my AR. The back of the case broke off or ripped off, so it's a nine millimeter casing stuck in the chamber with no back to it. Well, it's nine millimeters, so what I'd recommend is grab a Q-tip and just wipe it out of there in like a twisting motion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I tried that. It's, it's a tough one. Toothpick uh, <clears throat> then. Oh, I was using the actual cleaning rod, uh, old school M16 cleaning rod, trying to push it out. Well, for like a, a, a 7.62 or something, I guess 5.56 has them too. For like a, when they have a neck or whatever, they have that like broken shell extractor that sort of expands. Mm -hmm. Do they make something like that for nines? Or I, I don't know. 
I don't know. What happened is I got busy uh, for Thursday's event because I really wanted to take it up to Gun for Higher Range since I hosted the event there and try to get them to extract it for me while I was there. And um, I threw everything in the vehicle and hauled butt and realized that was the thing I forgot. <laughs> like well, I have If I was in the field, I don't know, it's your gun, so I don't know if you can do this or not. But if you had to get that out quickly in the field or something, if you stuck a cleaning rod down there and then you find the right size bolt or screw or something that will screw in between the case and the cleaning rod and ideally a screw so that you've got a taper to it and mm -hmm. just barely get it on there and then give it a tap and then barely in a tap, you know, mm -hmm. kind of squish the cleaning rod to the one side of the chamber maybe two bolts, you know, depending if you got something small enough that would do it. If you can, this is in the gun or it's out of the gun now. Oh, it's, it's in, the gun. in an AR. It's in an yeah. AR, so you probably can't yeah. do that. Yeah, I'm looking at it now and I'm like, this really sucks because it's been a while uh, and the whole thing, the guys are like, well, listen, things expand at different rates, so why don't you just stick it in your freezer and let it cool down and then you might be able to do it when it's really cold. Yeah, that didn't work either. Because, oh, it did. Well, it was nice. Go ahead. Oh, what, you got any air? It's canned no. air or something you can spray at it upside down? <sighs> no, that's not how, and again, the thing is broken off, so it's just a brass tube now stuck in there. It doesn't have a back to it. Yeah, but, well, and then it has a uh, chamber so that there's no nowhere for you to jam on the front of the lip of the cartridge? Not at all. Yeah, broke off even with pretty much the breast of the barrel. So there's no lip. All you see is the brass ring inside the chamber. It really sucks. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm oiling it, and I'm hoping to be able to get something uh, with this cleaning rod to at least nick, because you can barely feel. I mean, think about the thinness of that case. I'm, I'm trying to just catch the lip of the cleaning rod on the case and push it down, put a little yeah. leverage on it, but it's nothing. Just keep rolling over it. Nothing like... Uh a pick with a bent end, like a file with, on well, maybe not a file, but like a pick with a bent end or a nail. Yeah, see what you mean. And then smack yeah. on it like a little tiny crowbar, smack on it with the rod. How long a barrel is this? Like a 16 inch? 16 one? inch, yeah. Oh, it's like yeah. doing a ship in a bottle or some shit. So. Yeah, pretty much. I was like, of course it's got to be a 16 inch. No, that's a good question. I mean, can you pull the barrel out or is that too much of a pain in the ass? Because I have to have somebody do it. Yeah. That's a whole thing, and still it's in there significant amount. I mean, it's in there, we're half an inch in the chamber. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it really sucks because uh, this was fine. This is a, uh, I think it, who, who makes this? I think it's a PSA upper. I put it together so we could still have people who shot without the concussion of the 223. You know, when you're introducing new people, you want to remove as many variables as possible that makes them poop their self the first time they pull the trigger. And also, it allows us to have less expensive ammunition than 5.56, so it's easy to replace it. You know, when I have my guys shooting and introducing people to guns, I can give them 9 mil and go, here, this is for both the carbine, uh, for the, you know, high point bullpup, and, and for your Glock. And it's helping them out because my guys, you know, every two weeks, they're going through 200 rounds just at my event. Each. That gets a little expensive after a while. That's why we're going to Vegas. That's why I'm trying to find, uh, what do you call those people, sponsors at SHOT Show. We had this discussion Thursday night after the event. <laughs>
Like, how much ammo do you go through per diversity shoot? Well, and think about it would just for the uh, sponsor, if they were to, let's say you give you two boxes per person, the person shoots one and then potentially goes home with one, then I don't know, is there advantage there? Or maybe not everybody takes it, but if they want, they got one to go home with. Yeah, I mean, a lot of my guys have been with me for five, six, seven years. So if they took it home, they'd bring it back next time. Oh, wait, no, <laughs> I'm thinking of the actual participants. You're thinking oh. of, this, of that. No, that makes a lot of sense. So that the volunteers are volunteering, but then they're whatever ammo they bring, they're going home with. So that, you know, or just applying the ammo and they're getting a little something, something. So it's not necessarily a volunteer gig. I don't think that's a bad deal. And I'm just saying that would be something that the uh, ammo manufacturer could hang their hat on. Like, that's a cool uh, thing that they're doing. Uh, you know, like the same thing as make maybe uh, sponsor in a competition shoot or something like that. Yeah, I mean, look, my guys have done this. Um, if they want anything, they, they've not asked for anything for years. So, yeah, if I could hook them up with anything, I'd love to be able to do that. Um especially the ones that are there every week. I mean, you can look at my Instagram, my social media, and you can see who's there from week to week, from month to month. And it's like, they believe in what we're doing. But it's like, we've increased fourfold the amount of events we do. Well, I'm, we've got a question up here, but I'm going to go to Richard's question since uh, it's more on topic of what we're talking about. So Richard asked, uh, how did Tony's shoot go on the 29th? That was a gun for hire? Yeah, it was a gun for hire range in Woodland Park. Uh, <laughs> traffic was horrific getting there. So, um, I mean, I showed up obviously on time. Some of my guys did, but pretty much everyone was delayed by at least 45 minutes to an hour. So um, I kind of just went from table to table, had people talk to each other, which is kind of rough because I haven't been able to introduce them and roll through it. I didn't want to just jump into it because we had some new people. We had some people that have been there over the years. So uh, just started talking, talking about bills, talking about things like that. And then around 7.15, 7.30, we started the event up. So an hour, uh, hour and a half late. <clears throat> Everybody came in. I did something new. I kept ticket sales open till seven o'clock. The event starts at six. Half the people that showed up purchased tickets after six. So I think this is something I'm going to do from now on and leave ticket sales open longer. Uh, we had very good turnout, which was unexpected because we went in with very few people coming and uh, we had a good turnout. So really happy. Uh, got a lot of new shooters. We had some young ladies. One was 14. One was 18. Uh, we had some people that have never been there before. So, yeah, we had a great time. Got a lot of shooting done. Right now I'm trying to set up the January event because I will be at SHOT Show in the middle of the month. So I'm trying to get it during the third week of January to have another one at Gun for Higher Range and kick off our year early this year. Instead of waiting until the middle of February, do it in the middle of January. <sighs> in February, we're working on having a diversity shoot. In Phoenix, Arizona, doing that 2A rally because I'm going to be speaking there. So we're working with people to host it out there. We also have a Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg, PA. And I'm working to try to get a diversity shoot going there. And I got a week coming up in May 
um, again, because I work with the NRA ILA, not to confuse with the NRA. NRA ILA are actually the grassroots people to go around knocking on doors and trying to get stuff done on your state level. We're working on doing a one-week tour in Oklahoma, Kansas, and Nebraska that are pretty much do diversity shoots that entire week, ending uh, in St. Louis with Kevin Dixie for training line. So that's what's happening with us uh, in 2023. That's why I'm having the raffles and trying to come up with fundraisers for us because we have a lot of work to do and it's going to involve a lot of travel. So Thursday's event was great. We're looking to kick off another one like within the next three weeks and start up the 2023 season. Thanks for asking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Richard was a gun for hire, man. <clears throat> Yeah, he came in because he's overseas, right? I think so, yeah. Well, I know so, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. England? I don't know. I think um, so. I follow his Instagram. I know he makes something out of a machine. And, uh, anyway, so uh, he says that uh, Gun for Hire is a good range to use. Yeah, I've been a fan ever since Tony's been talking about it. I've been following it. Uh, and then as it grew... And then I uh, got to shake hands with Anthony when he was out here for an NRA. Oh, I can't remember. I think it was 2020. NRA mm -hmm. changed their annual meeting and did it like a really very small scale meeting at a hotel here. At a hotel, time. yeah. <laughs> people showed up. So I got to shake his hand and say, thanks for what you're doing. But yeah, it was uh, definitely a cool story. And it's you said about an hour drive out of New York City. No, 15 minutes of New York City. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, and I definitely would like to check it out because that's about as close as I want to get to New York City. Uh -huh. <laughs> One of my guys was is from uh, Staten Island. He was like, hey, you ever get to... I'm like, I do not want to go to the city or either one of those islands, but eventually I might get to Rockland County in New York because uh, this particular range has wanted me there for years. It's just... <clears throat> couldn't arrange it because you still have to have a setup. I have to have volunteers there that understand the mission. You know what I mean? Um, some people think what I'm given is a class. No, I'm given an experience. So if you're running a port at my event, what I'm doing is teaching you enough of the basics of firearm safety and operations for you to poke holes in paper at five to seven yards. If we do more than that, great. But right now, I'm just trying to give you that experience so you're not terrified and you feel some success. Me setting a pistol target out to 25 yards and giving it to someone who's never shot a gun before is not positive reinforcement about how much fun guns can be. So when will I be in St. Louis? I'll be in St. Louis uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, that's going to be for the Kevin Dixie Train and Learn. That's just going to be for that event. I'm not doing a diversity shoot there. Um, because the week prior I'll be, if this works out, we'll, we'll be busy every day that during that entire week. <clears throat> I don't think I'll be able to squeeze another diversity shoot in during train and learn. It'll be truthfully pretty much me traveling for a week straight through four different states. Uh, do you know Susan? Susan. Mm. So that's the worthwhile fun there is Susan uh, Myers, I think, from Instagram. 
and she's the Missouri State Director for DC Project. Uh, she was at the um, rally, the DC Project rally at the uh, uh, House of Representatives. Wait, no, it was at the, uh, what do they call it? The, uh, where the Supreme Court building this year? Oh, yeah. Renlin, I can't see it. What's her name again? On Instagram? Susan Myers, her name. Susan Myers, 2A. All right. Let me see Susan Myers, 2A. Worthwhile. Here, I'll tag you in your last picture so that you got it. I wonder, did I meet her? That's what I'm wondering. I don't think so. Unless you see a picture of her in at SHOT show, because that's where I meet, met a lot of these ladies. At SHOT. And I helped with the fundraising and nope, didn't see her in Missouri when I was, wait a minute. No, no, I was in St. Louis. I didn't go see anybody there. I went straight to Kevin Dixie's. If it helps, there's where a dog looks like. <laughs> I'm not supposed to show dogs on the internet. Sorry, got told that that's bad. Oh, really? Gonna do it anyway, yeah. So, um, I just keep rubbing that in. I heard that advice at uh, maybe it was at the Gun Rights Front Policy Conference. So, uh, <laughs> whatever. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Is this who we think it is that was given advice on how to monetize? Oh, I'm not gonna okay, I've been doing enough of that. So, best thing about 2022 <laughs> is what we got going and 33 votes in there, 58% are two A wins. 30% is community uh, gun community growth, and 12% is new guns. I mean, certainly the 2A wins is great. Like I say, I'm hesitant to the wins because good times make soft men. Soft men make hard times, and then people got to get hard. So get the fuck hard already. Uh, go check out Susan's uh, chat or Instagram for some inspiration and uh, try to keep up. DC Project ladies are winning it. They've uh -huh. already won it in a lot of ways. But anybody who goes, what we need is more ladies. And as soon as you start saying that, you're done. You, you're not paying attention. So I get the wins. Like the political wins are cool, but they, they're just scores. Like we can't consider those finish lines. They're just mm -hmm. the way to that goal, right? So yep. the gun community growth, I think, was a good one this year. Now, it's not unified, and I don't think that's bad. It's not competitive, which, you know, that is what it is. I think we'd be a little bit better if it was a little bit more competitive. Like if we had rivalries for how much two-way we could get, right? Rivalries for what works for, a, for regaining uh, rights, right? That's tough because... We just haven't had that paradigm yet. But anyway, so I think there's a lot of growth and it's all been, you know, like a bunch of blades of grass, like a bunch of different trees growing. So we're getting a forest. We're getting, you know, the resources. Uh, I don't think we need to all be together, like with one giant entity like we had been in the past or with, uh, you know, individual or kind of individuals all going in single paths or single efforts. We have a lot of different diversity in goals out there too, right? A diversity in reach and in what people are reaching for. I, I think you're right. And I think we have bad, a bad thing because people have not only different goals, different perceptions of what's needed. 
But if we can all work together and not against each other, I think that's important. The competition is good, but some people act as if if you support the NRA, you can't support another Second Amendment group. And I'm like, that, that's ridiculous. You, you can support multiple. Uh, you don't have to buy a lifetime. You know what I mean? Uh, or you could buy a lifetime membership this year to one group and a lifetime membership to next year to another one. But your funds can be split. You're not you don't need to shut down any one group. You can work with them all. At least that's what I do. Dude, I mean, as a life member of many of the organizations, uh -huh. I feel privileged and enabled to uh and complain, right? Like yeah. they owe me. I'm a life member. I'm allowed like you know what I'm saying? I I can I've been uh Whatever, like I've got the the okay to complain about them. Like if you haven't even put in the game, then you're just observant. But I think it's definitely worth being a life member and as many of them as you can. Participate, but work with them. I mean, number two, when they go to lobby, the NRA used to be the big lobbyist, but now when mm -hmm. lobbying needs to be done, or when they when the political strategists look at the size of the organizations, it's usually the life members that they're counting. I did, I wasn't aware of that, but uh. I, well, I would think. Know. I mean, I, I would think the life members. They're if they're counting the life member growth. But I guess they're only going to tell you the life member growth when it's good. But if they're yeah, if they're observing the life member growth, they understand that that's different, significantly different than just the yearly member fluctuation. Like for me, um, like I'm a member of everything in Jersey, right? or at least, you know, the three big ones. I, I've read some other ones and I'm like, I don't even know where these people exist. Um, but yeah, ANJRPC, CNJFO, and NJ2AS, member, I'm a member. Uh, DC Project, I actually helped with their fundraising. I, that's where I was speaking in October at a DC, uh, New Jersey DC Project event. Um, you can be a part of this fight. Some people, oh, I don't want anyone to see me. I want to stay low key. I don't want to get on the list. I think the list thing, not wanting to get on the list is one of the worst excuses out there. Unless you live in a cave like Ted Kaczynski in a cabin in the woods, you're on a list. What are you going to do? Well, the list is definitely like, well, they came for these people and I didn't care because I'm not them people. They came for the people that had this and I don't care because I don't got that. They came for these and then I was by myself, that whole story. I forget where that yeah. one comes from. But yeah. yeah, it's essentially that. Like, oh, I don't want to do it because I'm not on the list, so therefore I'm not affected. Or maybe it's like that rowboat meme where the, the boat is sinking. The people on the side with the leak are slower down in the water and they're bailing and the people that are up in the air on the other side of the rowboat are laughing at <laughs> Because they're struggling about the whole situation when they're not even wet. Yeah, it's you know we're all in the same boat, and the boat is in a, in a place. It's not like there's any givens. There's no, uh, you know, we can take all this for granted, and that these people are efforting wrong. Like no, those are just the people that are at the edge of the situation. Like the situation isn't uh, finite; it's infinite, and these are the people that are actually in the mix. And that was one of the things I was having issues with, with the whole, we'll move to a free state. I'm like, there are no free states. Oh, yes, there are my state. Well, things change in election cycles. A lot of people thought they were in a free state, and then their state went blue. And now they're like, oh, my God, what do we do? <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, I guess you're getting a fight now, huh? <laughs>
It's like, you know, do the thing I've been begging and asking you to do. Get involved. Get in the fight. Write your representative, even in the free state. Matter of fact, write them to thank them for voting against crazy gun control in your state, but at least uh, create a relationship with them. So if something horrible happens, legislate like, let's go ahead and be truthful. A mass shooting happens and it brings enough attention. They're going to be put under pressure because their phones are going to blow up because of the demanding mommies are going to be pointed in their direction. And they're going to, oh my goodness, look at all of my constituents calling me. They must want something. Well, you already need to be on that list. They already need to have a relationship and know who you are. Hi, my name is Tim Smith. And I called you guys, you know, to thank you for doing this great job. Well, you can you do go. more than that in 2023, right? Yeah. Now we can say, hey, I think you're doing great. And here's what I'd like you to counter their BS with. Here's some work that's being done by the DC project where they're offering uh, actual usable uh uh, examples and offering themselves for testimonials and they've got a, a precedent of being available they make themselves available in dc to challenge this stuff so when you have competent resistance to their paradigm which depends on ignorance and lack of awareness when you talk to your representative and you can give them real life can you talk can you emphasize the girl with a gun uh project oh, can you emphasize a, a well-armed women project can you emphasize you know, any number of local projects or can you uh, emphasize any, like, let's say, student uh, shooting competitions that enhance that team sport or, you know, self self uh, growth and that kind of stuff or therapy for veterans. And especially the talk to your politicians and let them know that every time this is a, a mechanism, every time the antis are going to come to you, it's after the media has decided to exploit an atrocity, but in the reality, they're going to use the numbers of suicides as the, you know, the major flag in their parade against gun ownership. So what I'd like you, the politician who's aware of what's going on to do is actually seek to the root causes of this. Let's remove the barriers to mental health. Let's create suicide prevention awareness, and let's do this 24 seven, 365 so that you know, this person doesn't have to say, we're just against your anti-gun bill, but on the opposite, we're over here doing stuff and there's plenty of stuff to be done. And if your thing isn't suicide prevention, or if your thing isn't mental health awareness, then it could be a veterans group. It could be a social group that, you know, is in that line. And you can give your politicians some ammunition, pun intended, along with that, thank you. And even if they're anti, Throw that kind of ammunition at them. Why aren't you addressing this? Why aren't you addressing these mm -hmm. actual, you know, faster saves lives, those kind of things? Okay, I'll shut up. Um, also, uh, let's not forget, since uh, Susan's out there with DC Project, they have their state representatives, too. It's not just going to Washington, D.C. They go to the Capitol now. Diana, uh, I, I mean, you know, we were both there in January when they were talking about it, and they were doing their State of the Union or State of the Organization. Um yeah, they, they want to get on the state level, sending people to the capitals in the state. So, yeah, there's no reason not to uh, give the name of your D.C., you know, your state D.C. rep. And if you don't know her, maybe you should actually join and donate to the D.C. project. And one more thing that I have been telling people to do lately, donate to your 2A friendly representative. 
20 bucks. All of a sudden, now you're a constituent that's actually supporting them financially. Don't act as if that's not another level of, I need to pay attention to this person. You know what I mean? That, that can add up a lot. So it's been, yeah, that's not yeah, easy. You're more than just somebody that's typing out a, a friggin' opinion in an email or a letter or a fax. You're somebody that's given them money. Wow, this is going to be hard to hear for some people. I don't even want to hear it. But Susan's saying, not only thank the solid representatives uh, that are 2A, but volunteer for their campaigns to help keep them there, state or national level. And that's 100%. That's, you know, they need bodies, they need people. So that's a good point. Uh, can't say that I'm at that level yet, but I suspect if I had more resources, I'd pay an intern to do it or make an intern, a free intern do it for darn sure. But uh, yeah. that's <clears throat> That's definitely something, and, and maybe lending our expertise, our platforms, our, our time uh, can be part of that. I don't know where that falls into. I don't know where that well, falls into for, uh, campaigning and blah, blah, blah. For me, that's not going to happen doing what I do and becoming what I'm trying to become. But I will make people, and I do make people aware of the other options they have. Being a 2A activist, but trying to become a 501c3, I need to avoid, you know, volunteering for any political organization like that, but I can dance you and make you aware of where they are and how to join and tell you stories of friends of mine that are doing it because we have a lot of people doing it in Virginia, uh, down here in New Jersey. Uh, NRA ILA was also in the state of New Jersey and they were at guns. They were looking for volunteers to be in gun shops and pass out literature. You as a gun owner can do that working with NRA ILA. So you're not working directly for a campaign, but you're handing out literature about who's running and who supports your Second Amendment rights. I mean, there's stuff you can do without having to have your blasted all across your social media, um, but you can still be in the fight actively. Going back to her, her comment that's on the screen now, the wins can help to grow the crowd too. People like to join the winning team. That's definitely true. And uh, mm -hmm. the only frustration I have there is people take for granted that we have 50 states CCW and we're working <laughs> on 25 plus constitutional because not that I did anything. It's just that I've been standing around watching it all happened. And it's like these waves, right? I keep saying there's these waves. There's like this pendulum swing. Like sometimes the pendulum swing gets more and more, it seems like, and sometimes it's getting less and less, but it, the, the consistent part is that it comes and goes. Uh, and each time you can measure the, tide or whatever you want to call this, right? The, the fluctuations, you can measure them, but regardless, there's going to be highs and lows. So I get the wins part, but then if they're, it's, it's just the way to say it. If they're here for the wins, are they going to be here for the losses? And I can, I call it the apathy because I tend to, uh, you know, deal with people that are in the fight. And if the fight is there, they're fighters. And if the fight ain't there, they're trainers, right? They're getting ready uh, or prepping or, you know, instructing or coaching or something. You know, but their mind is still in the fight, the next fight, right? Or the continual, like how to train a you know, generation of fighters. So but the, my, that's my frustration is when <laughs> fair weather, is that fair weather? But if people are there just yeah. for the wins, do they leave during the losses or do they just get fat and lazy during the losses and have to either be re-educated? I really think it's just new people every time. Like people come along for the wins, they get their mm -hmm. first loss and they're like, I didn't like guns anyway. 
and then they go into motorcycles or car or guitars or something. Sorry, all the motorcycle and guitar people. I just picked two things. <laughs> but you know, uh, you're right. Just as a hobby, sometimes. You're right. I mean, I've I've done this for ten years, paying attention. You know what I mean? Paying attention to who's here, who's in the room, uh, who shows up at the rally, who's who, who's members of the Second Amendment group. I stopped paying attention to the online members because online. <clears throat> means very little when it comes to actual Come people and go too fast and they don't do anything yeah yeah, yeah. Part, not people that send to this of course but yeah but you, yeah, part, you, yeah drive by commenters you can't take them yeah they, they just don't count uh when i when i'm putting together who who's in the fight and i've seen people come in and and they get beat up a little bit um <laughs> because they're angry at the pace of things Oh, you guys need to do this, and you guys need to do that. You're just not fighting hard enough. <laughs> it's like, hey, bro, you just showed up. Why don't you chill out for a bit and let's see what's happening? Um, but yeah, you watch them drop off. Some are fair weather. Some are just frustrated because they thought it would be a lot quicker. Um, it, it happens in waves. I say take everybody you can. Some people will stick. Some of the fair weather friends will bring in other people that may stick around after their fair weather friend is gone. Use them as a recruiting tool. Don't turn down anyone. If you ever notice, the NRA's membership never drops in their, in, their, in their reported number of members. They don't go, yeah, you know, 5 million people joined, but then after the Wayne LaPierre craziness and negativity with New York State, you know, 2 million people dropped off. No, you'll never hear their number go down from them. And that's what we need to do in the 2A community. I think that people come in that are fair weather friends. We use them. And appreciate them while they're here. And, and when they're gone, they're gone. All right. Thanks for at least being a part of it when you were here. Let's use oh, that that's energy. A, that's awesome insight. Because, yeah, the, the, you're uh, knowing what they are and being okay with that. Because it's the thing. That's this free country. You don't, you can't, you shouldn't expect them. I guess having realistic expectations, right? And that's, yeah. that's a big part of it, too. And that's, I'm glad you brought that up. Because since we're kind of chatting with people who are in the game and paying attention it can be frustrating when you're aware and focused and the people that you're with all of a sudden ain't there, right? You imagine being in uh, some sort of uh, training situation. You're going to get a new job or you're going to go do something. And to do that, you need to qualify. You need to go through some kind of uh, more than just indoctrination, but some kind of uh, evaluation. And, you know, they're going to remove people who don't pass some, you know, level of criteria or whatever. And in those kind of circumstances, Everybody comes in, everybody's super gung-ho. They have the in, you know, the intent to do this thing and they're all going to be tested, right? And then depending on how brutal it is, you know, you're going to end up with fewer people there. And that's something that it takes a couple of sessions of doing that to realize that you can be really, you know, supportive and, and have a lot of camaraderie or whatever the words are. Like there can be a real big brotherhood and some of the people aren't going to be there at the end. And it takes a bit of callous. I don't know what to call it. It takes a bit of experience with that to realize that you're allowed, you, you need to, you can, and you have to, it depends on where you're at in your world, but you know, you have to be able to get past that when all those people ain't there. And, and if it isn't an actual battle and it's just people left because it got boring or they left because there wasn't profit in it, that can be as frustrating or more so than having people be taken out by, you know, I was taken off the, I was deplatformed or, you know, something happened in real life and they had to stop doing this or something, right? Like if you're mm -hmm. taken out of the game, it's frustrating, but 
if you decide to quit the game and your teammates decide to quit the game, how many iterations of that before you're, you're beat down, whatever that is, like psych, your psyche is beat down or mm -hmm. your motivation. And that's something that, you know, again, that can be something you just have to realize. Again, have real expect expectations. Not everybody's going to be in this for the long haul. Not everybody's going to exist. People pass away, right? Like that happens. We've seen some this year had we lost some important people in the community and you can't be unaware of that. Like that's going to happen. Uh, anyway, so that's one of the frustrations I have is seeing that, knowing that that was a potential and now seeing it come through is frustrating. We need to have more systems, better systems, systems, not individuals or teams or organizations, but systems that allow us to work with all these organizations, teams and individuals, but without any of them being a linchpin or some kind of a key. You know, I need the other side having that as a vulnerability or a weakness, but just for our own sake, so we have a more useful thing to hand down to the next gen. Like, here's a good open source version of what we came up with. Like, keep running with it, right? Like, anyway, I'm kind of rambling again, but. No, you're right, dude. I mean, <sighs> look, <laughs> because I want to go, oh, I'm frustrated. I'm like, dude, we have people like, uh, uh, Oh, darn. Ken Blanchard has been doing this since 1990. Uh, and, and he's like, sometimes you got to take a step away. Sometimes if it gets to be too much, uh, you have to understand that you have a life to live, too. But always come back to the fight. And, and that's good. But you got some people that won't come back, and that's understandable. And, and you got to go, hey, use them while they were here. And not in a bad way, but it's like, hey, you know, you're here. Let's do some stuff. And if they get burned out, all right, cool. They served a purpose. They were in the fight. They were a foot soldier. They didn't just stand around with their thumbs up their butt. And, and uh, use it to your best advantage. And be thankful for it. All right, so we're two hours in. DJ was asking for a link to the after chat, but I don't know if me and Tony need to chat with some stuff because we usually chat. Like I've mentioned this before, but when me and Tony and Clover get together, we often spend as much time, or if not more, after chat, just kind of <laughs> reconning and intel dumping and figuring out what's up. So if we got something to chat about with Shot or whatever or something else, I'm not sure. I just want to throw links out just yet. Plus, I need to do a chat after this for the whole patch thing. I don't want to keep people hanging too long going into the new year. That being said, it's two hours in. Uh, barbecue had asked earlier, what's your favorite number? Uh, we'll answer that question. Just for shits and giggles, you have a favorite number between 200 and 500? <laughs> favorite number between 200 and 500. I don't know. Did we? I'll just make some crap up. I don't know. Uh, 242? Did we do that? We haven't. Looking for a 1950s Italian machine carbine. I'm guessing machine gun, a 1950s Italian machine gun, a 30 carbine. I don't know what this means. So looking for a 1950s Italian machine, 30 carbine. I can't imagine, would anybody make anything in full auto 30 carbine? That's too long of a car cartridge. I can't imagine anybody did anything else in 30 carbine. I don't know of any other guns besides the 30 carbine that uses 30 carbine. Maybe a revolver that uses There's a revolver. And maybe does a Desert Eagle use 30 carbine? I don't know about a Desert Eagle. Automatic. There was an yeah. auto. 
Yep, it was Automac that uses it. Um, that's what I know from a semi-auto. And uh, obviously all the different versions of the stupid uh, M1 car being the different companies made and screwed oh, up. That's a great point. Yeah, all the like aftermarket, they kind of look like mm-hmm. Yeah, that was interesting. I guess people wanted to cosplay World War II and there wasn't enough carbines to go around. Well, there weren't a lot of carbines, but they were carbine parts kits. And I mean, think about it. You had the entirety of World War II. Then you had the U.S. giving them out to every one of our allies. So even if you lived in France, uh, you saw the carbine in France, but then you saw it being used in Algeria and you saw it being used in Vietnam. Um you saw it being used by the British, so you saw it all over the world. So yeah, civilians still right, like police. Police had them in the states. I mean, it's the same thing that happens now with the AR, and it's the happening Oscar with the, well, and it's happening with the Sig M17, M18. People just want to buy the P320 because that's what our military has been issued now. Yeah, yeah, good point. So that's uh, as far as an Italian. Oh, that maybe that's part of it too. Then, huh? Maybe there was an mm-hmm. Italian version of a thirty carbine, and maybe you know, machine got translated to gun, or gun got translated to machine. That happens quite a bit. Um, so we don't know. I have no idea about Italian guns. I mean, I don't yeah. know Beretta's hardly. So I know that there was a ton of Saturnite special type of guns that were kind of being hobbled together by small factories in Italy and imported during the height of. I guess street crime and you know little old ladies and people walking home from work didn't want to uh, deal with thugs or kids or probably kids or thugs, right? Like either professional muggers or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, rapists or something weird, or probably more like muggers or little kids, just kids being dumb kids. So you can brandish a little revolver and little kid's going to run away. You brandish a revolver or shoot a thug in the foot. You might get away, you know, so I'm thinking in the 30s and the 20s, that's how life was, right? Like, you either got home safe or you didn't, and there might be laws about this. Oh, yo, a Beretta 57, bro. Beretta 57, Italy makes a 30 carbine SMG for Morocco. Okay, so let me uh, go look. So is it like... uh, Sten looking thing or something? Oh, no, it's an M1 carbine looking thing. It was uh, Ian on Forgotten Weapons. I just Googled, uh, you know, Italian 30 carbine firearms because what you said was right. I was like, yeah, they are. Oh, this, <clears throat> this thing yeah. here? Okay. Is, is that what it looks like? I don't know. Did you say no, a 1930 uh, carbine? No, no. Uh, it's a Beretta 57. And it's uh, Ian from Forgotten Weapons has it. That's the only time, only picture I see of it. It's a, a Beretta 57. It makes a 30 carbine SMG for Morocco. Oh, here we go. This maybe? Uh, yeah, it kind of looks like that, yeah. Interesting. You know what that kind of looks like is a BZ58 up on top. <laughs> I wonder who copied who. 57, BZ58, you know what I'm saying? They look almost identical on top. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm just crazy. That looks crazy with, uh, speaking of having a non-curved mag, it has a little slant at the bottom, but there's no curve at all to that big, long stick mag. Gas tappet system. Tilting bolt locking system coupled with a gas tappet style piston. Left side ejection, right side charging handle. And what? Dual triggers. Wow, that's insane. Semi-auto for the front, full auto in the back. That's weird. 
That's super weird. Yeah, that's some Italian stuff. That was a good deal. That's some Italian stuff. I I think they did it on some other guns too, if I remember correctly. And then, you know, you had the AUG that has the, uh, you pull it this to trigger this far for semi-auto, but you pull it all the way back for full auto. And I know that was a couple of firearms too. So Baron is saying that they made more carbines than Garins in World Mm -hmm. War II? I didn't know that. Yep. But uh, the question for Baron is then, is he going to try to find one of these Italian versions of a carbine? All right. So uh, he's a collector of these World War II-ish. Oh, okay. So then Barbecue asked, I got a handle, or he got to handle a Haskell a couple of months ago. says Mm -hmm. Haskell is the original high point, kind of makes a high point look refined. Well, there's a couple of iterations before high point and mm-hmm. I've, whenever i did the saturday night special or actually the ring of fire research uh i started to dig into that because that's super interesting to me once i started to figure out you could research that stuff i never was able to really get into it but oh man, what's the other one there's another one that was before um well, anyway there was um, like i got the impression there was a couple of different companies that were either because they were made in different locations. So I don't know if they were different companies or if it was the same person who just had his guns made by different places. And then mm-hmm. whenever High Point got big enough, he just let those companies keep making them. And I think of it as soon as I'm not thinking of it. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I, I tried to remember off the top of my head, and I was right. Yeah, over 6 million, over 6 million M1 carbines were actually made during the Second World War. Yeah, well, no wonder they were everywhere. They weren't going to throw them away. There was six million of them. Yeah, you made six million of them. You have to do something with it. They made five million M1 Garands or Garands. B. Miller, that's the other one, right? Okay, I knew it was another one, yeah, because... Uh, it's something like B. Miller. They came together because I think it's still called B. You can still find something to do with their website if you look deep enough to find, I think you find B. Miller, I think it's accessories. And that's the thing. I didn't know if it was like a Grendel Keltec thing or if it was something similar to something like that or something else. Yeah, but if you go to their accessory page or click on it, they, there's there's another name there, not just High Point. Uh, but I'm a big fan of that whole thing. And unfortunately, he passed. And man, it's, it's been a couple of years now. And uh, so we're, I'm never going to be able to interview. But I think a couple of people did. And like you said, there's still the company still exists and they're proud of it and they're not going anywhere as far as I know. Well, I think, again, I've had conversation with the people at High Point. They really believe in arming Americans. I mean, they were doing the thing that PSA is uh, is getting all this credit for now, which is, you know, making uh, uh, the AR uh, com- was it, common use. The, you, the whole common use thing. Well, High Point was doing it just to get people armed up in something they can afford that was 50 state legal. I mean, they, they carved out that that niche. You know what I'm saying? Affordable firearms are 50 state legal. Um, well, they're, they're unique. Are they were, they became unique or they positioned themselves to be in a where uh, the Zamek guns, those are basically big because they're made out of Zamek and Zamek is, uh, you know, material that's different material quality or whatever. The characteristics. Well, and other mixes that needs to have more bulk, but um, that made it inexpensive, m- much easier to, to create mm-hmm. 
because it doesn't destroy the tooling. Like if you're trying to tool some super hard metal or trying to do something that has to become super hard, you know, your tooling is going to wear out. You're going to have to have more refined or this and that. So they were able to make it less expensive and offer it less expensive at a time well, that the antis were attacking inexpensive guns as being worthless or not reliable, you know, bad. And uh, they were able to, to, what's the word, like stop that characterization. They're made out of a material that normally would be cast aside, but because of them, pretty much exclusively, boom. Well, they can't say that, that 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 material is somehow inherently bad. Well, they couldn't say it because it was used making car rims and car tire, uh, car rims. That's where they are from in Ohio, that area where they make those parts. So the parts and the organ uh, and the and the companies that the make it, or whatever, yeah, yeah, are there. <clears throat> so they were able to use it because the manufacturers are there. So they use locally sourced materials to make these firearms a lot cheaper in a process that was already there. I mean. Look, I they, they had a niche, but they had a business plan, too, that really makes sense. And they were able to take advantage of uh, what they had available and also stupid legislation with the 10-round magazine limitations. Well, they were like, yeah, this is going to go away in some places, but in other places, the state level. I mean, Jersey had their 15-round ma round magazine ban going before the assault weapons ban got passed in D.C., so they were forward thinking, High Point was forward thinking enough to go, they're going to be some states that doesn't come out of this. Let's make this available for them too. Yeah. You can ignore the people that are infringed on, or you can, you know, uh, uh, give them resources. Yep. And like, you know, people, in, uh, and, and I hate the term, but I'll go ahead and use it because it really ticks me off. The people in the slave states, yeah, they have money for guns too. <laughs> so you want to help us out? I mean, there was a couple of companies that I spoke to and they were like, yeah, we're not worried about Jersey because you guys have a 15 round magazine. I'm like, we have 9 million cu potential customers for your company. Why would you turn us down? Because you don't want to have a 10 round magazine or 15 round magazine available for us. That's kind of stupid, isn't it? Now that company has 15 round and 10 round magazines because I think they realized it again, short term thinking. Well, and at the same time, I don't like it to where it just becomes another vector that they were for like a skew so that they can, hey, guess guess what? Some states, you know, we get to force sell to them or, you know, they get to be forced customers. So I don't want to get, you know, that's another topic or whatever. But Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all, <clears throat> what do you want? What do you want? Because if you make guns more and more impossible for people in my state to get, well, what you do is kill the culture here. You're just killing it. I mean, they're, they're finding that out now uh, with the hunting culture that they tried to end in New Jersey. And now all of a sudden we have a bear infestation <laughs> just because they stopped the bear hunt for two years. I'm like, yeah, but you villainized it for 20. So you brought it back for this little short term bear hunt. And it didn't get you the numbers you thought it would. Well, of course it didn't get you the numbers you thought it would. There are many, much less bear hunters than they were because, again, you killed it. So we'll see what's happening. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's important the companies actually help. But if they don't, they don't. They'll lose the money. Other companies will pick up the slack. Uh, so Maggie says the chat one is oh, – so we're talking about uh, artificial intelligence, like I don't know what to call them, like interfaces or the, the – 
pieces of artificial intelligence or the portals that are like available to people. He's saying the one that that creates chat is cool. It can write stories and articles and you can even get it to write code. Wow, that's, that's actually pretty, pretty creepy. Exciting. I've never thought about having it write code for you. But yeah, so you could mm -hmm. not even know code and walk up to a thing and say, because mostly, at least in my experience, you interact with artificial intelligence things like this by just writing in a sentence and it'll say something because it reads the words and then applies that to whatever. So you you would type into a, just like a Google search, you'll type in something like, you know, show me a little dog sitting in a spaceship outside. If it's one that's going to draw pictures, you'll say, show me a little dog uh, in a spaceship flying around planet Mars. And then it'll show you, and then you can say in the style of a Bugs Bunny cartoon or, you know, like an old West dime novel or something, then it'll create it's to the best of its ability. So you don't really need to be artistic anymore. You just need to describe what you want. And then you get into this whole layer of like, people have come up with really interesting descriptions and then you can just plug in a few variables. And now you get out of it a very interesting final product without a lot of experimentation because somebody else has done a lot of the experimentation first. So it'll expand, it'll grow pretty quick, but it can also, you can get these ones that'll write a story or write a, a description for your product or write a blog post, right? So you can type into it, like, give me 500 words on why the 500 Magnum, shout out to 500 Magnum out there, why the 500 Magnum <laughs> caliber is so good, right? And then the AI will go, okay, I'll read everything that's on the internet and I'll give you exactly 500 words on why the 500 Magnum is so good. And then boom, now you have that 500 words. And now you go over to another AI and you say, read this, <laughs> read it in the style of a person who's like this and like this at this pace with this accent and like this. And then bloop, it does. And now you've got this fake human that read the thing that another fake human came up with after reading. And anyway, so then you put it on a video and you put it out on the internet. <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that's going to happen with the AIs and stuff. But uh, the one he's saying that can write articles and stuff. I didn't even think about writing code. So then you could potentially walk up to one and say, give me an app that will, you know, like list all the gun shops that are cool that sell 500 Magnum caliber, period. Like, you know, and then boom, here's a map of a Google map or something with a little star with every gun shop that currently has 500 Magnum on, in stock. You know, nobody needed that app, but now it exists. And the person who wanted it has it and you didn't need a, uh, hire a massive amount of people to come up with it. You just tell the AI to come up with it, move on. So anyway, I guess we're way off on a topic, a tangent there, but if you're, you're going to get a little bit of science fiction, a little bit of technology if you're hanging out around here. I don't see anybody else saying anything. So we got two more. Uh, plane, plane Nut said SoCal was big for aviation when we were talking about the Ring of Fire before. So SoCal was big for aviation. Then after the Cold War, they scattered all over the place and consolidated uh, RIP, the Republic and McConnell Douglas. So I don't remember Republic. Is that a... Mm -hmm. okay. Republic, I think Republic ended up joining with Fairchild. Republic was the P-47. Oh, okay, okay. You know, time goes on. I mean, we had horse and buggies and that got really elaborate. And then you know, I'm sure they bred horses and stuff that somebody was really proud of their horse and buggy horse. I don't know what those breeds would be, but you know, like, you know, and we didn't have horse and buggies anymore. And they probably were like, dang it. Mm -hmm. Didn't use airplanes. 
I was just watching a thing about the most produced airplanes, like the B-29. I forget what the number was. It wasn't that big a number. I was pretty surprised. But, uh, you know, B-29 bomber, I mean, except for maybe force fighting or something, it's not really useful for anything else or force mm -hmm. yeah, firefighting. Um, you know, I can't imagine too well, we haven't come up with many uses because they're kind of useless airframes because they're just designed to carry stuff. So they're, you know, unless you need them for cargo, they're not really applied to anything. But, uh, you know, some things have a lifespan, I guess. And some things we kind of want to have a lifespan. Yeah, I mean, think about the lifespan of a C-130. Well, I was right? think one of the longest flying planes. And then they came up with the gunship, so it's never going to die <laughs> unless they come up with <laughs> You know what we'll be doing? We'll be dropping drones. You know, a C-130 drone will drop a bunch mm -hmm. of littler drones out of it. It'll become like the flying airport for the tiny oh. drones. Definitely. I mean, look, and it's like, oh, yeah, C-130 is one of our longest serving airframes. B-52 said, yeah, that's real cute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the B-52 is planning on uh, right now in the Air Force inventory hitting the century mark. Like there will be B-52s flying in 2052, according to Air Force plans. Um, and if you read any aviation science fiction Oh, they're just talking about reskinning these planes and 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 added in more technology. So now you'll have a manned B fifty two flying over your country for like eighteen straight hours, and you'll never know they're there. And they can marry them up with things like you said, drones, stealth drones. It's just insanity what can be done. And we already have the airframes that we already paid for sitting in the desert. Yeah, I live like, like so I said, I, there's not a day that I don't hear a couple of C-130s flying around. There's A-10s constantly over the head. But the, the A-10s, they train the A-10s pilots here. So they're flying around to learn how to fly around and be noisy. And the uh, C-130s are the third largest air force in the planet, I think, still. And they're just oh, all wow. with, like, white stuff on the windows. So they'll, mm -hmm. the engine's covered up. They'll go up to one and uncover the window and uncover the engine and take it out and fly it around the city a couple of times and then put it back and put all that white stuff back onto it and let it sit there for awesome. five years or something. And then there's so many of them. It's just rows and rows and rows, hundreds of them. They'll, they're constantly just cleaning one up, flying it around five or six times, putting it back down for another four years or whatever the span is. And then they pick another one up, fly it around. They do that with the C5s. They do that with the C130s and Probably a couple other planes that I don't know, but uh, maybe some refuelers. But yeah, they're, like you say, they're just sitting here. And then we have a whole nother, if you ever look at the graveyard from air, everything on the left of the road, there's like a road that goes right between it. Everything okay. to the left of the road is still good to go. That's the stuff that they, they are flying it around on a regular cycle. Everything to the right of the road that you see laying out in the desert is mm -hmm. the stuff that's like the, the carcasses. They'll go out there and take the ailerons for some other plane or they'll take the you know the gas system or the you know the hydraulic system for something else. So they'll take a bunch of titanium off of one to melt down. So the the planes out there are more like skeleton husks. So if you watch uh Harley Davidson and Marlboro Man, they film that mm -hmm. over the right side of the road or the east side of the road. Oh. And then if you ever watch a movie where they're in a real plane, that'll be on the other side, the east or the west side of the road. <laughs> I did not know that. Makes sense, though. I mean, <clears throat> think about how many planes, because my uncle was, my uncle, you called him my uncle, I don't care, um, was in World War II coming back. And by 1946, dudes were getting pissed that they were still stuck in the Pacific. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like they were having, 
well, they're having morale problems because it's like, I want to go to frick home, bro. Like, there are no broads on this crap island. <laughs> it's not been hanging out with the same dudes I've been here with the last two or three years. I'm ready to leave. War is over. Um, so they started packing them up with very little plan on how you get this many personnel back stateside. And uh, they brought in an aircraft carrier. And they were like, yeah, here's the aircraft carrier. And they were like, yeah, well, we have planes on deck. They were like, push them off. So there's places in the Pacific that just planes are <laughs> on the ocean floor. Yeah, there's like streets full of mountains of planes or some shit, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, chuck them off the side. Can you imagine them doing that today with like, you know, $200 million jets? Yeah, all right, chuck them off the side. Dude, I'm sure they do that. Yeah, I know it. Like, if there's one that's all broke, you know they don't keep it laying around. They're like, it's probably cheaper to throw a million bucks off the boat than to waste the gas dragging the million dollars. Dragging the boat. <laughs> it's like, all right, bye. This is the broken yeah. side. This is the side. I don't know. I'm not zoomed in enough. But this side is, is the nice. side where all of these planes are no good anymore. And they're mm -hmm. just in different states. Like you can see how this one's all chopped up. Some of them, like if it's a, an attack plane or something, they'll put it over mm -hmm. here and chop the wings off so that mm -hmm. Russia can go, okay, you chop the wings off of all of them or something. Like these F-111s and stuff, like these, mm -hmm. are, these are bombers and they chopped them up. But maybe they also, anyway, they don't really tell us what they're doing. But that's, you can kind of, you actually, you can, you used to be able to take a bus tour and they would drive you all around and kind of tell you. Now there's what they're going to tell you. And then what there's what they'll tell you. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So if you went on a tour and I went on quite a few tours because I figured this out. But if you were on a tour with like a bunch of like little kids and old ladies, then it was like, these are airplanes, you know, and then it would be over. Mm -hmm. And if you were on a tour with all pilots, which happened quite a bit because not that many people take these that bus tour. Mm -hmm. If you were on a tour, because the, the tour guide on the bus was always a pilot. And then if you were on a plane, uh, on a bus with all pilots, old guys mm -hmm. that were pilots, holy shit, did you get good stories? Like you got all the on all kinds of cool stuff. You wanted that bus ride to last like for days. Those <laughs> and it was seven bucks to get on the bus. So they would drive you from the airport or the museum, which is down over here. This is the mm -hmm. museum. They'll drive you up around here. You go into this entrance and then they take you in and there's a row of planes that are all different. Like if you go down this, they, they have a name for it. But if you go down this road, every single plane on both sides is different from each other. It's like a sample of all the planes they've ever had there. And a bunch of them are gone. Like they don't even exist anymore. Like I don't think there's any F-4s. We destroyed all the F-4s by using them as drones to shoot at with other planes and shit. True, and, true. And some of them are just, there weren't that many of them. But this is neat. So you can look at this and they'll take you down here. And again, if it's just a bunch of old ladies and kids, it'll be like, these are airplanes. And if you're with any, they'll be like, if it's just pilots, they'll be like, who was a pilot or what? And then they'll start talking shit to each other. Oh, you guys suck. Or like, you did not have to fly or whatever. Like, you know, they're talking their pilot shit. That is awesome. Yeah, it's freaking awesome. Then these are all those C-130s I'm telling you about. Like every single one of these C-130s is good to go. They just put this white stuff on it. They peel the white stuff off. They drag it down to the place over here, this big ass buildings over here where they can put a C5 galaxy into. And they, mm -hmm. I don't know, they go to one of the airport or air, one of their drive, uh, what do you call them, runways and fly it around. Yeah. Right? And then uh, over, you drive across this big ass road, and here's all the C5s. So I guess there's not that many C5s, but there's more than I got. And then well, there used to yeah. be some intercontinental ballistic missiles sitting right here, but they've since oh, moved. Where did yeah. they go? I don't know. But anyway, I think they use those to launch. Uh, stuff into space 
Um, anyway, these are all the broken ones, so I don't know how well it comes in, but these are shit tons of broken ones. I wonder, too, because, I mean, you got to have everything from A6s to A7s to even A8s. Like, the fighters like, are closer south, usually, so the fighters <clears throat> and helicopters are all down here. Then you got C-141s that have to be parked there. Uh, Look at, there's a C-130, and there's a C-5. Little difference. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, C one thirties. Everybody thinks they're huge. They're kind of like a bus with big ass wings on it. They're not really all that big compared to. Yo, what the heck is in the middle there? Was that between the C, the C fives and the C one thirties? Are those F fifteens right there? Yeah, our fourteens. I can't tell the difference from the air, but there's something with two ailerons and so fourteens, eighteen. Well, no, eight. Yeah, yeah, it had to be either fourteens. 14s or 15s. There was one. Uh, I think they're too double. little for 15s, but I can't tell. They, if they were sitting next to something, I could tell. And they don't label them. Actually, there's probably people that have labeled oh, them. Oh, definitely labeled them. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, definitely. Those guys are nuts, man. The aviation. Okay, so since we're sitting here and we're us, well, it's going to go down here. And if you, back in the day, you could get on the base because now they're stupid about it, but you could get on the base and then you would get in, right? Here's all the. All this stuff, you can't really tell, but this tan stuff is all that graveyard we've just been looking at. If you go past all the real Air Force Base stuff, way down to here, you get, notice some shooting ranges down here. So you get shotgun ranges, you get a couple of different bays and stuff. So this is where the, I forget what the sky cops are called, whatever they call sky cops. SPs, yeah. Okay. Like that's where they do their training, but they let regular people who just could either get on the base or were retired Air Force. So mm-hmm. I've only got to shot there before. Well, no, wait, I don't even remember if I ever, I got invited there a couple of times, but I never took them up on it. I'm a dumbass. Anyhow, so that's one interesting thing is that there's shooting ranges. So people that can still go shooting over here. You hear them shooting all the damn time. I can hear them shooting from my house from there. And then awesome. this part, when you look at this stuff, when you come into this side, you're like, wow, this is just a bunch of boxes. That's boring. So whenever the salt talks happened or whatever mm-hmm. the talks were, and we mm-hmm. decided to get rid of the B-52s, we're like, okay, we'll get rid of the B-52s, and we started chopping them up, but this is the B-52 factory. They just took the B-52 factory apart and put it into boxes, and it's sitting <gasps> in the desert right there. <laughs> oh, dude. So I don't know how good it is anymore, but at one time, if we would have had to s- scramble some shit, I bet you they would have built the B-52 factory right around here somewhere. <laughs> and it would just put it back together, you know what I mean? That's funny because, uh, you know, with technology, B-52s were obviously built 1952 for what? Probably about 10 years. I forgot when the last new one rolled off the line. But you, I don't know. Long time yeah. You, you can consider this. How much has the manufacturing technology changed and how fewer machines <laughs> would be used to build a B-52 today? Oh, yeah, yeah, seriously. Like, on how many CNC machines instead mm-hmm. of crank? Yeah. Yeah, so it's like you're going to break out all this antiquated equipment, and it's like, yeah, we can't sync it up to anything, so you're going to have to build new equipment. Well, it's probably a bunch of tooling and probably, like, you know, mm-hmm. templates and things like that, or I don't know. It's I like, how do we hook this thing up to a robot now? Well, that's kind of the thing is you can take a robot. Here, let me put this on. I'm going to show the obligatory puppy picture here. I can get this thing going. So let's say that you needed to make a 3D version of this puppy. You can get the robot that you just take this little probe and you go, 
And then the robot's going to come in and go right where you put the little probe. Yeah. So it doesn't, you could just go up to a B-52 and say, you know, here's how big a B-52 is. And then the robot's going to come in and go and make you a big That puppy is not going to move no matter what you do. Even this whole time. He just buzzed his whole body. He's like, yeah, whatever. Oh, that is hilarious. Yeah, dude, I really, I mean, uh, as a kid that grew up with the whole loving everything military, loving everything firearms, you know, military fiction, it was always cool. And then when historical fiction started coming out, W.E.B. Griffin, and you can read about the firearms and the people in the historical fiction kind of way. Uh, and then I forgot what his name is that came up with that. Um, what was the character? Uh, Bobby Lee Fisher. Bobby Lee Swagger, excuse me. Um, the movie Marky Mark was in. Shooter. If you remember oh, that. Okay, okay. All right. Uh, I, I can't think of the author's name that uh, did that. But it was like they bought the firearms to life. You know what I mean? Like, like this is this gun and this one it was developed. And that just caught me as a kid. So I was a gun guy. And, and became an activist over the stupidity of what's happening in the state when you know the capacity and the ability of a firearm and it's not to turn you evil you know what i mean it, it it's not to make you into an evil person and you know it was uh, the second amendment wasn't written for militias and the state government and it's like to to be that guy and then for us to easily fall into talking about cool stuff with planes it's like yeah dude this could be firearms is, is is a whole big pool and you can go into it as deeply or, or as deep an end of the pool as you want or the shallow end of the pool or stay on this side of the pool like you said you like bullets you like the rounds but you don't care about the ballistics part and it's like some people just want a freaking tool to sit in the corner to defend their home and they don't care that John Moses Browning was the dude that developed it. You know what I mean? So what? Yeah, or, or who ripped it off to get the one that you got or where it was made or what the grip angle is. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, so it's really it's really funny because I have to keep myself in check at a diversity shoot that I don't go too far down a rabbit hole to lose someone that has a passing interest. But I keep it interesting enough for somebody that's deeper into it to go, you know what, I'm definitely going to come back Oh, or, you know, I'm going to join these groups or going to go to these places that he suggested so I can get further into it. And it, it gives people that opportunity to find like-minded human beings, regardless of what part of the pool they're in, to hook up with. Uh, we joke about the bromances that are created through diversity shoots and through the other events that we organize. And it's because in a state, especially like New Jersey, I mean, there's other places too, but in an anti-gun state where you're a pariah, if you're a gun guy, when you find other gun people, you want to hang out with them. And, and especially if you find a place like ours that have women that are in the firearms and enjoying it, that's kind of different. That's kind of different that now, you know, I can bring my wife, my girlfriend, my daughter, and it's not going to be just a bunch of dudes drooling over it. There are going to be other women here, too, and they can have a conversation with them. And that's why I'm glad I had the opportunity. I, I actually feel blessed that I had the opportunity to do this thing and learn about 
what we kind of assume, oh yeah, it's a big community. No, no, I've got to witness it. it it's more than a theory, it's a real thing. <clears throat> when you get to see oh, women get together. Uh, I told you about the last time I was at Gun For Hire, we had uh, some uh, black ladies from New York City that are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s come to my event because they met at something to do with uh, being self-sufficient through growing your own food. And then it just became, oh, well, my daughter's into this. She's in the firearms. And she heard about you through Maj Torrey. And I decided to bring all of my friends down here to check it out. And now I have a 75-year-old black grandmother, a great-grandmother, shooting an AK-47 for the first time in my event. That was a cool photo. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was like, this is only possible because the gun community is, is like it is. But you can hear stories, but to see it is a whole well, nother thing. So I've got a picture of my mom shooting an AK, mainly because I was only going to ever, ever get her to do it once. And then she was <laughs> She was an old lady, I guess. But then, you know, that, and then there's that old pic, there's that picture of a lady, like an old Russian lady, right? Mm -hmm. And she's holding an AK-47, but she looks like an old Russian lady. And she was like her granddaughter. Somebody said, hey, grandma, hold this gun. And then she's, you know, she just held it. I mean, yeah. maybe there's more to it, but, you know, that didn't, it looked like a set up picture. It didn't look like whatever. But anyway, there was a, that kind of poster that was back at gun shows back in the day. And people would put that up because of the, whole like grandma's got a gun type of thing yeah. but aside from that or um yeah really that or maybe somebody making fun of a gun punny picture you know making like the equivalent of a meme back in the day the only thing the only time you'd ever see a grandma holding an ak was some kind of sarcastic or satire thing so the, mm -hmm. i was gonna say the the cotton what's the word like the the, the way that the it resolved to be a little grandma holding an AK isn't like you just found some little grandma and had a picture opportunity and threw a gun at her to have her hold. But instead, it would, that lady's going to go home and change at least her family or her acquaintances' opinions on gun ownership, right? Yeah. And then what's the world like when grandma actually has an opinion and it's pro firearms ownership and she's comfortable with an AK-47 because she shot it before. She decided to go out and shoot it instead of having somebody thrust it at her sarcastically or ironically or something. So yeah, well, that's, a, that's a future that we have now going forward. And she's just one indication. I mean, you made that possible and enough to like talk to us about it, but how many times is that happening with somebody's grandma who's like, what are you kids doing in the backyard? Grandma, we're shooting the AK pistol. Let me shoot that. Oh, that's pretty nice. I'm going to have my friends come over and shoot it. I mean, that must happen, right? Yeah, it had to happen. I mean, it happened at, at, at my home in Virginia, where I'm from, without me knowing about it. My cousin uh, came in with his AR-15, and and he had it at, you know, because, again, we're in the country in Virginia, so, you know, you bring guns to family functions. And we go outside and shoot cans or shoot targets or whatever. My cousin had his AR, and everybody got to shoot it. And they were impressed by it because it didn't have a lot of kick. Uh, it was easy to shoot it accurately with the red dot, regardless of what you grew up with. So I come home. <laughs> Goodness, I missed him. I missed him being there. And I came home like a few months later, and they were like, oh, your cousin was here. He had an AR-15. It's a really fun rifle. You should buy one. And I looked at him, and I was like, yeah, they're fun rifles. And I left it alone. I'm like, buy one. Got six. 
I'm like, I've got six in three different calibers. But okay, cool. I don't have to be the cousin that's the gun guy. <laughs> well, the same thing. It's like uh, uh, smothering them with, like, or overwhelming them. Oh, you like mm-hmm. ARs? Let's start talking calibers. Let's start talking all this other stuff. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, hold on. I just like that ARs, you know, I'm just now getting comfortable with ARs, period. I don't know about all this. Yeah. So I was like, all right. Yeah, that's cool. They're fun guns. I, I got a couple. And leave it at that. So, Mike. <laughs> Said his wife, 76, and she shoots his AR right on. Heck yeah, man. I mean, I was, if I thought my mom would do more than just sit in the corner and let it get (laughs) dust on it, I'd give her one of mine, but I know she won't. You know what I mean? Like she she shot my cousins. Interesting. But I'm like, do I bring it? Like you gave her a digital camera or like. Yeah. Some other thing that she could care less about, like a, you know, uh, I don't know that she's not going to shoot. I don't want to feed her, so it'll sit in the closet. Yeah, and and again, it's it's uh, it's one thing because somebody brought it to a family function. It's another thing. Hey, mom, why don't you get that thing out like once a month and put like ten rounds through it as a target? Just anything. It's like mm, nah. <laughs> Meanwhile. <laughs> Meanwhile, I really do it. And next thing you know, my mom signed up for like Haley strategic classes somewhere. <laughs> uh, all right, well, I'm going to keep going. So 500 uh, earlier had asked any experience with 3220. Um, I never owned anything 3220, but working at the shop, Bob really liked having old stuff around. So, I mean, I'm a big fan of any of the cowboy cartridges. However, I mean, well, I don't have- favorite 3030 is probably my go-to but 3220 is just one of the many. well 3220 had the ballistics of pretty much a 40 cal if i remember correctly i don't know where it fits in i, I just know it's one of the cowboy cartridges so do you you know more mm-hmm. about it like where it where uh it, where, all right what do we what, wait, hold on <laughs> you're just asking if any experience with it yeah because uh yeah 3220, because uh, I'd read about it before. Uh, I have no idea how I stumbled into it. I think it's reading Chuck Hawk stuff. I don't know if you guys are... You, you oh, no, that's it. awesome. Um, hopefully that stuff is still up, but for pretty much my entire time online, Chuck Hawks is a go-to resource for anything, ammunition or history of ammo. That was literally like better than Wikipedia. Wikipedia is probably not even as old as Chuck Hawk stuff. Sorry, yeah, I got that wrong. Is because uh, I'm looking at 85 grain moving to 1100 feet per second, or 115 grain moving to 900 feet per second. So that is not 40 cal numbers, right? That's more like nine millimeter numbers. But essentially, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a time when brands and manufacturers and people with different interests and reasons to carry like i need my gun to be small because i'm on horseback or i'm on bicycle mm-hmm. or i want my gun to be big because i need it to do something i'm going to shoot bear and then somebody's saying i need it to shoot long distance flatly or i needed to shoot as much energy the same debates happen it's just mm-hmm. that you know there was less you know it was less quick fast right so fewer people probably had the debates and then somebody acted on it so anyway i, I would consider 3220 one of those like like you're saying, 49, 45, 357 calibers. It was an established caliber. Mm-hmm. But 
whatever reason, none of them stuck. And I think some of it was if you wanted to have your rifle and your gun and your revolver the same. So some mm-hmm. people were going to restrict themselves to having a medium in both. And then some people were like, I need a small revolver. So they were going to go sub caliber than, you know, something that was common. And then some people were like, no, I need a bigger rifle for some reason. So they're going to go way bigger than something that could be common. But again, that's kind of a vague, you know, place to draw lines in the sand because there was so many people with so many reasons. And then I bet you there had to just be, I mean, it's just human nature. There had to be people that were like, well, I already got all the other guns and they just came out with a 3220. So I guess I'm buying a 3220. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hilarious because you read about it. I mean, because Wikipedia to me is that gateway. And then you go down to the references. And then again, eventually when you come to firearm stuff, you'll fall into Chuck Hawks and go there. And even if it's an old article, it's still worth reading uh, because it's information you didn't know. How many, and, uh, people worth, how many people here and are listening right now have heard of Chuck Hawks or read his stuff? Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> uh, because you, you all of a sudden start reading about dudes that usually to take small game in the Midwest, you know, 100 yards, dropping it because it didn't ruin the pelt on something. And, you know, oh, my granddad used it and my dad used it because there was no reason to buy a new gun. You know, the old one still worked and you could still find ammo at the Western Auto. And then when the ammo fell off, then they started looking for new stuff that did the exact same thing. And, and nothing's really changed. I mean, dudes started wildcatting and they communicate more than they used to. Um, and quicker than they used to. But look at the ammo that's coming out now. Just a different one. It's 350 Legend. Isn't that just a pretty much 30-30 power level but you can actually put it in like an AR? But it's really a 30-30? Or, you know, the 4570 is really a 450 Bushmaster now. Like you have the same ballistic ability, but you just put it in a newer cartridge, it feeds easier than in an AR-15 platform. Was it 450 Shark? What is the new one? Isn't Shark Brothers has one out? Anyway, there's a lot of different things. I just find it really interesting that uh, form follows function sometimes. Like you want to move this 500 grain piece of freaking lead this fast. Okay. It's called the 500 Smith and Wesson Magnum. You know, now they have 700 grain pills for 500 Smith and Wesson Magnum. Blah, blah, blah. Is a, <laughs> where is the 500 on your spectrum of wanting to get one? Like top of the list, somewhere in the The, middle. Yeah, it's on the middle. I mean, the idea of getting one is great, but you know, okay, let's go. Tony wins a lottery. Where's the 500 Smith and Wesson on it? If money's no object, I get one. I definitely get one. I think it would be great to have an outdoor event and you can introduce people to it, of course, one round at a time. And it's not this horrible wrist snapper. Oh, so you're getting a big one. Like a long oh, yeah. One. Well, that, that's the one I think will be a lot of fun and people would realize, hey, I can actually shoot a, and, and not scar my psyche. <laughs> the short one, I'm looking at that like, yeah, I might get one of those too. But the, the big, I mean, why do you get a 500 Magnum, really? 
business really to have other people shoot. I mean, unless you're going hunting or doing something with it. For me, it's just, you know, introducing people to it. What the hell? Oh. Oh, the bots got into the chat. Yeah, that's interesting. They're here, they're not here, and then why would they jump in three hours in? That's interesting. Um, yeah, oh, a five, you know what I would think, though? A 500 Magnum and a lever action would be something cool. I forgot what's the name of the company. Oh, Bishop uh, makes one, don't they? Yeah, I think, dude, I like that lady. We actually had her on the show uh, back when they first started putting out guns. Uh-huh. So they were not social media savvy at all. But uh, that lady knows guns, man. She grew up in a firearms family and she continued on with it. And yeah, they and were members just... of gun channels. And, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, hung out all the time. So definitely yeah. Familiar. But I can't remember every single gun, but um, sounds like the kind of thing. They were definitely into big caliber lever actions. Uh, oh, or maybe yeah. that place out of Vegas, uh, Wild West. Yeah, that too. There's a couple of them, um, but yeah, I definitely have that because it's cool and because it, it, it's it's a fun concept. And Honestly, I think that would be the funnest way to shoot a 500 Magnum too. Oh, definitely. A half inch gun, for launching those rounds out of something that won't kick your butt. So the but, question for 500 Magnum out there is: Would you get a 500 Magnum lever gun? Because <laughs> uh, first time I ever fired a 500 Magnum was at the range, and the guy had some Buffalo Bore 700 grains, and I launched one at uh, I think the target was at 200. I just wanted to see if I could hit it. <laughs> I don't think I did, <laughs> but I wasn't traumatized by it. I enjoyed shooting it. It didn't intimidate me at all because it's so heavy. It was an eight-inch barrel on it. All right, I'm going to go hit a bunch of plane nuts points from earlier when we were talking about airplanes and stuff. He said, uh, mm-hmm. talking about the boneyard. Oh, wait, he mm-hmm. said, I got to find in the airplane boneyard like Roswell, see if I can find anything I worked on. Well, that'd be interesting. Um, <laughs> and I didn't think about that, but every once in a while I talked to uh, somebody who was like, uh, not a, well, I guess a mechanic or whatever you call the flight cruiser. I guess they're spencer mm-hmm. and that, but you know, engine mechanics. And I never thought about that, but yeah, that would be interesting also to uh, go on a tour with. Cause yeah, a, a lot of times, well, pilots act like they know everything and they're pilots. They're definitely, yeah. I mean, pilots are a whole breed, like especially fighter pilots, definitely a whole unique breed. I've happened to have had a lot of experience hanging out with them over the years, but um, crew people that actually own the airplanes are totally different because they are intimately familiar with the entire operation of the airplane. Like, whole different mm-hmm. level and they own them so yeah that's interesting um oh i didn't mm-hmm. know there was a boneyard in roswell though i've been there i don't know a number of times now five or six times but i mean, i've actually been there where i've had time to fart around i've been to the couple of ranges in roswell they had, north of town they have some outdoor ranges i've been to um, well, being being an aviation marine corps aviation <clears throat> yeah it's a whole different attitude when you're dealing with support personnel than the pilots because the pilots think you know well they make movies about us yes yes yeah they make movies about fighter pilots you can't make that plane move if it was for us 
Yeah. <laughs> that's one of the things that's like, that's one of the frustrating things, right? We always take for granted at 99% of what's going on. That's why I can't watch movies because they'll be like, this, like the infrastructures are still there, but they'll be like bitching and moaning about the cream at the top or whatever. Like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, well, where do you keep getting these clean bandages? Like, you ever watch those zombie shows? <laughs> and it's like constantly clean bandages. I'm like, what do you think these things keep getting made by, you yeah. know, you know, like soup or something? Like, you don't just get clean bandages forever. You can't just open drawers and there's full of clean bandages. Like, these don't exist when the factories quit making them. Or like, you uh, know, they open up a soda and there's like, you know, okay, how many sodas do you think exist? Like, there's enough yeah. until Thursday, and then they're gone. Like, if they're not making new ones, there ain't new sodas seven years later. Yeah, I mean, unless the population in this area was completely overran, this store should be empty. <laughs> this store should be empty, and there's nobody coming to refill it. Um, one of the things that I noticed doing the, what is it, Global War on Terror, uh, was some of the veterans coming back, and it was the POG thing. You know, um, talk about people that didn't go out in combat. Oh, you stayed behind, behind in the lines. They used to call them uh, rear echelon MFers back in the day. And I'm like, yeah, it's, that's called support personnel, bro. Like, you can talk all the smack, but American soldier has not walked to war since 1812. Yeah, when you'd get up, like in the Civil War or whatever, the part of the, <laughs> the Civil War, you got up out of your house and walked to it. Yeah, nothing like yeah, that's happened. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Wrong war. Yeah, 1865. Nobody, nobody's put on a backpack, grabbed their rifle, and went off whistling, carrying everything they need on their back. And how fucking like, back then? That's how they did it. They'd walk somewhere and then walk somewhere. If they're lucky, they got on a wagon or some shit. Right? Maybe a train. But other than that, <laughs> it's like Sherman's march to the ocean. Yeah, that was literally on foot, bro. That was literally on foot. A couple of them had a horse, right? There was some yeah. carrying stuff, but they weren't on it. No, there was dudes walking like 20, 30 miles a day. Oh, well, I can do that. Everything on the road, homie. <laughs> like, there's a difference between walking on sidewalk and concrete and, and marching through woods that, are, uh, that haven't even been like virgin woods. Or mostly virgin forest. Well, that's where I'm assuming a lot of the roads and stuff came from. Because, yeah, you get a platoon or a battalion of dudes driving through there, walking through there. Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. There might have been a little path before, but now it's a big road because they're just oh, it, all down. They just tra trample everything down. But it's like, yo, dude, that, that stuff comes from something. Because living in Virginia, living in Virginia, we had, of course, you know, the Revolutionary War and the Civil War fought there. So there's trails. There's ways in and out. There's old fortifications, uh, places where battles took place where they dug trenches. And it's like, yeah, it's not just a hill and a valley. No, that was actually trench work, <laughs> like running through here. And you'd find like like bullets in trees and you'd dig up stuff and find like cufflinks or whatever. Not cufflinks, but, you know, the buttons and stuff that were on, you know, the metal parts of the old stuff, like the old leather stuff had metal parts. From what I understand, you'd find that stuff just randomly in well, you, find, you find it where places and, and you know, oh, there were no battles fought here. How did this get here? Dude got carrot tied a carrot and chucked it. That's how it got there. Yeah, or like <laughs> your 
17 years later, somebody was hunting and was using some Civil War garbage. And they're like, yeah, it's just my Civil War surplus. I'm leaving it here. I'm not carrying it back. I got to carry this deer or whatever. So something, mm-hmm. just, or something got lost. But yeah. Oh, heck no. I'm talking about during that time, dude was like, yeah, I don't need this extra frying pan. So oh, that yeah. Civil War frying pan went or I'm tired of carrying all this. I can get more lead from the wagon later on. So I'll keep these rounds on me. But, you know, this fell behind the tree. I don't have to carry it because lead's heavy. I mean, believe me, soldiers do stupid things all the time. Remember, the reason they got rid of the tri-pronged a- uh, M16 bayonet was because a-holes were using it to pop open shipping containers. They were sticking it in, turning it sideways, and popping the strip, uh, the what is called, the metal bands to go around them. Uh-huh. They were using that to pop open boxes. And they end up bending like the tongue. Opener, basically yeah. Hand. And they would end up b- bending the tongs on the flash, flash hider. Well, I could totally see that. And I think they were saying you could shoot a fence or something, so you know people are going to dink with it. If you're well, that and, things. oh, but the excuse that was officially given was, oh, it'll hang up on jungle vegetation. I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> like, that doesn't even make sense. Uh, let's see. So Plain that also says, I think all the all the I think 15s and all the 14s got cut up because they feared Iran getting the parts for the 80s they got during the the 80 they got during the 70s. Oh, that's interesting. So since they sold some and didn't like the idea that they sold them, they just smashed them all up. I could totally see that because there was a lot, and I don't know it all, but I know there was a lot of rivalry amongst the the pilots, the crews, the manufacturers on those air air platforms, whatever they're called. Like, you know, the F-15 pilots wanted their plane to keep going where F-18s are, I don't know, like real things, but like the different pilots would say, oh, our plane can do what they're doing and whatever. Oh, oh taking over? Yeah, it's <laughs> like they, they, back in the Cold War, we'd be like, we want a plane for air to air. And then we also mm-hmm. want a plane for air to ground. And we also want a, pl- a plane for air to ground or, you know, with these different roles. And then after yeah. a while, the planes were so good that they could just do it all. I mean, an A-10 can't do it all. But well, I guess whatever we kept could do it all, right? And the F-35. Well, what happened, what happened was the Kennedy administration and McNamara, that's what changed it up uh, because he was an uh, executive with the auto industry and he decided when they got him as the head of defense that he was going to clear some of this up because it was, like you said, you know, we need something that's good to add to ground. Well, they developed planes that were good at add to ground. We need a freaking air-to-air fighter. All right, they got something that's good to add to air like the F-4. Well, he comes in and goes, oh, no, we need to have one thing that does it all. Well, that's what's called a compromise. And they were good at it. An F-4 was good at it, but an F-4 was not built to even have a gun. They were actually strapped on as pods afterwards. And then they built models with guns actually internal. But at first, it was like, this is just a missile thing because it was an interceptor only. And we've gotten rid of the term interceptor. Now we call it air to air, but no, they were interceptors like the uh, 104s, uh, 105s, I think, what, Thunder Chiefs. Um, there were different things that looked like a flying needle. Uh, the and, the idea, and they had strategy, right? Like the idea was to, if you can get there faster, if the other side yep. is taken off and you can get there while they're still taken off, then you can shoot them. You don't have to, you don't have to fight in the air. Like we're not going to shoot them down. in the air because we're going to get them first or some shit. And then now, they like, oh wait, we can't fight in the air because we made these planes go in a straight line so bad. Yeah, they 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 have no maneuverability. And then you develop the F four, 
And even crazier, when you develop the F-14 with the Phoenix missile, you're like, yeah, this has a, a range of 120 miles. But then you have the rules of engagement that says you have to see the plane with your naked eye. Well, nobody can see 120 miles away, so congratulations. You developed this technology that can't even be used because of your stupid political rules of engagement. Um, a lot of crazy stuff happened. But yeah, because of McNamara, we all of a sudden stopped having specialized planes. Uh, the A-10 is pretty much one of the few specialized fixed wings that I can think of. Like everything else has to be decent at something else. Like they started hanging all kinds of crap off of F4 when they made it air to ground, but it was really an interceptor. That's why that big ass giant engine, two engines were on it. Um, and I was in Marine Corps at the very end of that. So I got to see those take off and see them come in. And it was really, really awesome to watch something that big take off compared to seeing an F-18 or F-16. An F-4 is stupid. And also I was in uh, at the end of the A-4 Skyhawk, <clears throat> excuse me, Sky Raider. Wait a minute, which is a Skyhawk or Sky Raider? Now I'm brain freezing. I don't uh, know but many was, of these, but I like them. I don't know any of them off the bottom because there's too many of them, but I like them. They almost all had a big scoop in the front, right? One big engine. Uh, the yeah, it was. Uh, we had the A7, the, excuse me, the A7 and A8. They had the big, just you could actually suck a dude in and shoot him out the back of it. <clears throat> that was one of the things you had to be careful on the carrier deck, and that's what they told us to be careful on the flight line that you don't get sucked into an intake. Think about how powerful that is, it'll rip you completely off your feet and throw you through an engine. Now, will it? rip you to pieces or is it literally just a big hole and you're going to fly through and get kicked out? Oh, you're going to fly through and get hit by all those blades, but it's, I mean, you're going to be cut, you're going to be bruised and you're going to be broken, but you're going to come out of the other side getting yelled at by your freaking staff NCO for ruining the motor. That's <laughs> just sitting there bleeding and all lumped up. All right, we but uh, that's interesting because <laughs> we did, I know we smashed a bunch of stuff because that's kind of the Cold War mentality though. It was still wars of attrition, where mm -hmm. the war of attrition is where you're going to throw resources at the other side. It used to be humans, and then it turned into potentials, right? Uh, planes and tanks and numbers of divisions and shit. And then it was like missiles. So it was like, mm -hmm. okay, we've got these uh, massive numbers of stuff. You throw a wave of this at us, we're going to throw two waves of this at you. Okay, you're going to throw three waves of that, then we're going to throw three waves plus a bunch of this. And they got to where we priced them out of the business. They couldn't afford to do it anymore. They, they, they gave up. And mm -hmm. as part of the give up, we said, okay, we're going to do the same thing. Attrition. We're going to start destroying this stuff. So I get it. Like we wanted to destroy this stuff as fast as possible because that buildup wasn't to actually go to war. It was to make them go broke. And when we destroy this stuff, we're essentially taking all that titanium and gold and aluminum and everything else that we yanked out of the earth really fast to use back to the world to turn into buildings and robots or whatever we're going to do with it but uh so i could see that we chop stuff up and i'm not necessarily against it i like the fact that we were able to scale up and then figure out a way to scale down with words it's not like we fought about how we're going to scale down we just did all that with words so i don't want to give any politicians credit there but i'll give the what would you call that that's like a statesman or something like the, the people who figured that shit out i'll give credit to that yeah that was amazing because you were able to I mean, we had wars by proxy, but we never launched into another world war. And that, that 
that should not ever be overlooked that we had that many years of worldwide peace. I think that's the better way to say it, right? Mm-hmm. Like we didn't have an all over world war, but we did have 70 wars going at one time around the planet. And a lot of it was proxy wars between us and the Soviets. And that's the thing. They were intentional. People can't get over the fact that these things are created, but the same as like you draw lines in concrete as it's form, as it's curing so that you know where the cracks are going to be so that they're deliberate. And then at the end, you don't have something that's unusable. You have something that has a crack in it, yes, because it needed to, because it, the concrete was losing water or whatever. But, you know, I mean, like we knew that there was, uh, I'm not going to say that they had this all figured out, but there were places that they'd rather have things happen than not. And, you know, the, the mm-hmm. that they weren't going to crack is unreasonable. It's unrealistic, I guess. Like, well, we, we, we had rules. We had rules in place in certain places. And, I mean, you, you can put it on a lot of different things, but they made sure that they didn't have open warfare in Europe, but right. they didn't mind having it. And I'll go ahead and say it, places where they had brown people at, you know, in Africa and Asia, they had those proxy wars and stuff, but everywhere in Europe, up until the dissolution of the Soviet Union, when all that started falling apart, and then they started having, you know, the Balkans and Russia started having issues in their places, but they made sure that business as usual was able to be run in Europe and they would have stuff in Vietnam, Algeria, um, well, places where no TV, no, no hmm? TV, hard to get reporters in, right? Even mm-hmm. back then, well, especially back then, I guess, but yeah, like places that were sort of out of the way. Sub-Saharan Africa, all, all those places would have wars and, and it would be fought <clears throat> with our team against their team. And usually we'd have us special forces there. Uh, South America, Central America, and the Russians would have their people. I mean, how many stories came out of Angola about Cubans uh, being there? And uh, I mean, Grenada is another one that they had Cuban advisors and the U.S. sent our military in. So, yeah, I mean, walls are already fought. But the overall thing was we stayed peaceful. We didn't go into a world war where millions upon millions would have died. That's awesome. And then we were able to advance our, what do you call it, standards of living during that time. That's true, so, too. That we didn't turn into some like weird 1984 type of situation where everybody was sort of stuck at 1950 or something or stuck at yeah. 1970 or anything. Yeah. We moved along. We grew as a country. Uh, we did wonderful things. We, we had... Uh, civil rights legislation. We had women, you know, coming into the workforce. We did a lot of great things while, yes, we did a bunch of shady crap. <laughs> but guess what? World governments do shady crap. I don't know what part of history anybody ever thinks they're going to go to where it was Mr. Rogers' neighborhood on planet Earth. There was no time. There was no good old days where that happened. Anybody telling you that is selling you a Disney movie. Or if it was, it was somebody who was enjoying stepping on somebody else to be in it. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't necessarily a, uh, a time when everybody was thriving. Yeah, no. When, you know, like when a king or somebody was being a king, it's because a whole bunch of people were putting everything good to the king and then one or two people were having it nice and everybody else was supporting it. Or, you know, a million different versions. Well, not a million, but a bunch of different versions of that, right? 
Yeah, I mean, you had a good king in this area, but everybody wasn't thriving worldwide. They definitely weren't just thriving in that area. They were somebody always at the bottom of the totem pole. All right, well, we're three hours in. Turned into epic. Like I said, there was nothing going on. Uh, Nobody else is doing any shows today. Everybody hates the idea that 2022 is ending. Uh, Clover is the 2023 in the thumbnail so does that mean 2023 isn't going to happen i hope it still happens even though corbett didn't show up but uh he must be doing something family wise family wise i'm assuming or maybe his gun shop has got something going on for end of year thing um oh there was one more from plain nut who said the that place is the spare parts bin unless they find a foreign buyer or active plane gets wrecked yeah from what i understand the ones that are flyable we do sell but i don't know how often we sell them anymore it seems like they're not dis- they're not diminishing. They're, they seem to be the same all the time, unless we sell yeah. them like two at a time or something. Maybe. I mean, it's really weird because, uh, like, where does a uh, modern country go if they want to update their air force? Like, you don't want to spend hundreds of millions of dollars. You know what I mean? So yeah, you buy maybe F fives that weren't frontline U.S. fighters but were secondary fighters from a manufacturer new or you hook up with the United States and they sell you what? F-4s? Old F-4s that'll be re-engined? Or you get them from a country like Japan or Germany that still has them and was flying them around the last decade. Well, I think that happens too. And then you also have, uh, I know that they turn a lot of them into like, not a lot of them, I know they turn some planes into Fighting fires, forest fires, where they'll re- mm-hmm. you know, they've already designed to carry around a lot of bombs or whatever. So now they just put air or water tanks in there and they can make them so they can drop water on stuff. Or they'll make them into some other like special use thing. Maybe like some NASA or somebody will grab one and make it into a test bed for some. So I'm assuming some get used that way. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy though. Like these things just don't die. Um, no, 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 we we can get off this because we'll just end up yeah, traveling down. Yep. <laughs> so there's the thing in Marana. The thing in Marana is sort of between here and Phoenix. Do I got the map up? I guess I technically still have the map up here. So I think, yeah. So if we zoom out from Tucson and I flip it back to a map looking thing, so maybe it's a little easier. Tucson is that footprint on the thing. And then Phoenix is quite a ways up the road here, an hour down the road, and not quite half, not even anywhere near halfway. If you get to a little past Marana, you'll get to where we're talking about, and there is this um, uh, airport out here. There's a couple of airports, but this airport that we're talking about has a bunch of airplanes sitting here, and I don't know if these are a graveyard as much as this is like where FedEx, if they need to fix an airplane, they'll take it here and they'll, I don't know what they do, vacuum it out or put new wheels on it or whatever they do to airplanes. And then the, I don't know who all, but a lot of people do clandestine training here for different units. And that kind of stuff happens from this airport. So all I'm getting at is I've never decided to drive down here because I don't need to be poking around an airport that's doing that kind of stuff. But it is just off the highway, and I guess I could go look at it. But I, I suspect that you could probably get about this far, and then they're like, you got a reason to be here? Then get lost. Because it's either industrial issues, they don't want people looking at their stuff, 
they just don't want people messing with airplanes. And then, like I say, all the different, like they do a bunch of different stuff at this National Guard Armory. <laughs> anybody around there. So I know yeah. Dude, I just love to go in there and check stuff out because, I mean, it's so cool. I mean, the same people, some of us are the same people to go to air shows and, you know, you get to look and touch uh, historical museums, firearms related museums. I mean, again, the, the, to bring it back to firearms, there's so many levels to it. And, and I don't think, I, I think a lot of us let it pass us by because we say, hey, you know what, I'm going to go see that one day. So uh, for this show and for since it's the end of the year, I don't believe in resolutions because I think they're ridiculous. But how about make it a goal to go see one of the museums that you always said you were going to go see, but always something came up. So that could be a cool thing to do in 2023. Like, go see that thing. <clears throat> Roll over the calendar. It's, it's a, you know, it's a rollover. So I think it's an opportunity to... Uh, use it as a way to look back and judge if your, you know, your own accomplishments, failures, if you've learned from failures, if you've appreciated accomplishments, if you've capitalized on what you could or helped where you can, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then set important worthwhile goals going forward. So, I mean, I think, uh, you know, you probably should be doing it quarterly or every three times a year or something just to be a better you know, more realistic, again, expectations or whatever. So you're not just giving yourself once a year, I monitor my shit. I mean, you can monitor it as often as possible. I don't like to micromanage. I'm not going to suggest you monitor everything you're doing daily or nothing. But uh, yeah, I think there's some, if you want to call it a resolution, I mean, I guess some people, again, like, it's really cool to be sarcastic about everything, but I get the idea of like, you mm -hmm. know, a reset. Res yeah, yeah, exactly. Um yeah. Just zoomed in on this uh, since I'm looking at Google Maps. There's this kind of place out in the desert. You can kind of see again. This is sort of nowhere between Arizona, uh, between Tucson and Phoenix. And if I zoom back in on that, that is uh, oh shit, where to go? That is a uh, a little community over here where they have a runway, and all these houses have garages that are hangars, and they just drive their airplane over to the to the road slash runway and just fly right out of their houses. There's a couple of those around Tucson. So they'll be kind of out in the middle of nowhere. If you wanted to drive there, it would take forever, but they're flying in and out of their area. It's pretty neat. That's crazy. <laughs> and of course, you know, with me in the desert with the air, was a runway in the middle of nowhere, questionable stuff. I just think everything is like, you know, something shady, movie, US government. <laughs> Just, just every movie trope in the world pops in my head when I see stuff like that. Meanwhile, I mean, there's a, there's a, probably a dozen of those little communities, so I'm guessing a couple of them may or may not have been something like what you're talking about, right? Yeah, like like the trope has to come from somewhere, right? Yeah. Well, I was just listening to Demolaire, which is an awesome channel uh, that has a series on the different uh, uh, waves of. Um, uh, the drug war with uh, mm -hmm. in from the Mexico perspective, and yeah, the the waves of how it was smuggled and everything. There was definitely a time there in the seventies when uh, air pilots were coming home from Vietnam, able mm -hmm. and willing to fly in ways that radar can't see. Literally, like it, they just knew how they were mm -hmm. able to, and there was incentive to. Plus, they had they were dealing with their own PTS, right? Like 
Can you imagine well, being somebody who was doing the kind of innovative helicopter flying in Nam, came yeah. home, and now you're looking to, you know, you well, that's a whole other topic. But anyway, so it kind of meshed, and there was a time <laughs> where those pilots were making a fortune just whipping through the, you know, and they yeah, had to fly yeah. somewhere, fly to somewhere. When, 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 when all of a sudden you go from being a rock star in your late teens, early 20s, being real good at something to just, yeah, you're another unemployed dude that has a skill set that doesn't want to be worthwhile in the military. Yeah, you can't be mad for those dudes going, yeah, I want to get some of that back. <laughs> or at least get paid for having this skill that the military taught me. Wait a minute, what? Just saying we're number two in the states behind Florida for fly-in communities. Oh, wow. I would be surprised that Florida has so many. I don't think of Florida as being a lot of farmland and nothing, but there's, I guess, a lot of farmland and nothing. In Florida. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Snob is saying his goal is just to give you a big hug in Vegas. So it's yeah, creepy. See, see you in is the media room, buddy. Is that abuse? Is, that threat? is he threatening me? Uh, he threatening me? Hey, listen, uh, didn't I think Snob, myself, uh, Clover, and Ghost were all uh, were at the range on range day, had lunch together? Oh, okay. Uh, that was a fun time making fun of Clover. I went to the vegan place. Number one, it's a vegan place, so that's where I'm going. But also, no line. And it was mostly people going, can I get a hamburger? What do you mean you don't have a hamburger? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, of course. Was, <laughs> come on. It was oh, like yeah. me and three other people that were there for the vegan stuff. And like everybody else was like, I'm going to go here because there's no line. What do you mean you only have like some kind of bowl or whatever? That's funny. Um <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, for not paying attention to reading the menu. My partner was like that, and it was one of the funniest things I ever saw. We're in Trenton. We go to a place that makes chicken. They do chicken, uh, flame broil chicken, and flame broil burgers. And my partner walks up to the counter and asks the guy, do they have bacon cheeseburgers? <laughs> now... But not as a joke, like because no, he was one hundred percent serious. Do you have bacon cheeseburgers? Well, here's the thing: you need to be able to take in the ambiance of the place. One, they had Arabic music blasting, not just playing quietly, but blasting, and they had pictures and stuff. And it was nothing. It was a dude. Dude's Muslim. He's not gonna have bacon cheeseburgers. So when my partner asked for a bacon cheeseburger, dude was like. We do not have bacon cheeseburgers here. And my partner was like, why do you get all hot? And I was like, bruh, this might as well be the lunchroom for ISIS. And you can't figure out why he doesn't have bacon cheeseburgers here. Some people just don't pay attention, dude. And I've seen there was like a bunch of memes where like Hanukkah stuff with hams and stuff. People just don't pay attention. He didn't. He wasn't. I mean, he still laughs because I bring it up. Like, like because the guy went from zero to 150. Like, no, we do not have it here. 
Like, well, you know, him? it's going to be controversial for the end of the show, but that's what old people do to young people. But uh, because there's a lack of reverence and uh, lack of respect or awareness of other people's points of view or their traditions, like there's a very little reverence or tradition, very little respect given to understanding other people's, you know, whatever it might be that's important to them. If it's their religion, if it's their culture, if it's whatever. Yeah. And though that used to be a, well, it should be, it still is, I shouldn't say used to be, but it, it was something that was more emphasized in the past was that the United States was the place where people came together. And we, although it's not always easy, it's sometimes difficult, we were able to champion the differences and, and come up with the, um, the, the, the whatever combinations and the evolution of you know, different cultures coming together. But anyway, I think there's a devaluation of people's individuality and, and a lack of respect for that. And that's something that, you know, is a consequence of that. Well, I think it is, I've watched it and it seems that people value other people's culture more than they value the one they grew up in. And I'm like, bro, if you devalue your culture, why do you expect anyone else to value your culture? And it's like, it's great to pay respect to other people's things. And, uh, I love my partner, dude. I really do, and I feel blessed to have him on my team. But he—he's one of those guys that do things just to get a reaction out of people, and I think it's to the point now it's even unintentional. <laughs> like, like he doesn't know he's doing it. It's almost, in some people, is a character flaw, and he looks at it as a feature. <laughs> I'm like, you're a douche, bro. There's something, well, okay, that's all I like say. They're getting off on things at the end of a very long Yeah, show. yeah that's, that's, that's usually what happens at the end of the long ones. We can end up talking about anything. But that's the thing about the live. And one, we don't have anything else to do as far as like having to shut it down uh, for other shows that would normally be scheduled. And there's people out there chatting. And again, I enjoy the interactive nature of these things. Uh, we're not here to entertain mass audiences. In that case, we'd have to be much more standoffish and um, and we'd have to do stuff that had pandered to the middle of the road or that was a sure thing for a number of people. And that can be boring, plus it's also a waste of everybody's time. So I appreciate the people that value sticking around. If we were just a diversion from something boring, then you're welcome. But if it was worth the time to have a different point of view, then I appreciate the people that support Clover and Ghost uh, with their $10 deal for the $1,600 worth of stuff and then that training gun from Meet the Pressers and Riding Shotgun with Charlie. So yep. thanks to everybody who's participating with that. I think Clover would probably be mentioning now uh, that he's got a website or a page set up on his website that y'all can participate in that as soon as they reach the 200 stickers, uh, which will help those two get to SHOT Show, then they're going to do the give. Uh, what do they call it? The the the, the figure. What am I trying to say? They're gonna forget the right word. Three and a half hours. They're going to uh, decide the winner of that. Um, Tony, you have a ten dollar thing. Is it still going, or did that end yep. yesterday? It ends. It ends noon tomorrow. I'm just unwrapping it now. This is what you hear. Hold on. Here we go. The wheel of freedom, baby. Uh. This goes off tomorrow. It's $10 uh, per entry. So you can enter as many times as you want. I've had somebody enter 10 times, so they donated $100 to us. 
Uh, we have people five, two, whatever. It's 20, 50, 100, whatever. You cannot buy this. This is made by a friend of mine, uh, Dan, and it has all the firearms manufacturers' names uh, and different things all the way around the border, kind of in the mode of the Mayan calendar. And it also has a way to hang it on the wall. So this is used as a fundraiser because we're going to be all over the place in 2023 and we need the funding. So I appreciate it. $10. You can go to my social media. I have links in my stories that takes you directly to the cash app Venmo, or you can go to diversityshoot.com and donate through uh, PayPal. So please uh, help me out, share it with other people, share my story. So this can get out. We have less than 12 hours and hopefully a lot more people will join because it will help us take care of expenses out in Vegas and help us get to Arizona in February. So diversityshoot.com, yeah, I may as well do it through the whole plug and everything. Diversityshoot.com, if you want to donate to us, we also have a Patreon you can join. If you look at the links, you can see where uh, DJ put the links even to our GoFundMe. Patreon, January 1st, I'm going to start posting content from SHOT Show last year so we can get momentum going so you can see the cool stuff I'll be posting from SHOT Show this year. So that's that's a goal. Also, I'm going to kick off my exercise program. It's just going to be something you can follow, and it holds me accountable to you guys if I decide to settle my fat butt and not work to improve myself. So that's the things that I'm doing. And like you said, it's not really because it's 2023 is my resolution. It's just it's a rollover. It's a reset. It's starting a new year and we're doing new stuff. Um, the podcast, I got to finish that up. I want to put it out today just so we can start off the new year with a new podcast on the books. So the 2A4E podcast is available at your favorite podcast app. I'm on Twitter at Second for Everyone. And Simon Says Train on both Facebook and Instagram. And Second is for Everyone on Facebook. So please follow, check out the work I do. And uh, follow me on social media and help fund it if you believe in it. Right on. And uh, Clover's deal, I think, I'm going to assume DJ's going to throw a link out there. Thanks for that. Or Ghost, if he's still around. Uh, we've got the end of the year free patch Friday going. So when this shuts down here, I'll uh, take the little one to the outside, if you know what I'm saying. And then uh, <laughs> I'll set up uh, the live for maybe an hour or so after this. And we'll uh, say thanks to the people that have purchased stuff from our gear website store. And then... Um, I guess I was going to say something about, oh, I think I was going to say that one of the other things that is with SHOT Show being in January, it kind of coincides with um, the beginning of the industry's year. I mean, obviously the calendar year is a tax year and everything too, but um, with having the industry show so close to the beginning of the year, you know, a lot of people touch base and they can make their, their business dealings and stuff. They can place their orders, you know, they can anticipate what kind of expenses they're going to have so they know what kind of budgets they're going to have and stuff so um this is kind of just you know, becomes the type of time of year maybe i don't know if they i guess there must be some reason they do shot show now instead of like in july or something um but it's also you wouldn't go to vegas in july that'd be horrible so shoot i don't want to go to vegas in january <laughs> i don't drink and i don't gamble I, I just want to meet these people and, and, and try to get sponsorship. 
And it's great being able to see all my friends in one place, but man, that's an expensive city to do it in. Well, I mean, I hear you. I don't know what other options there are because of the size of it, but even if, let's say they, they split it up and said it is too big and people don't like Vegas, so we're going to put it, you know, half of like all of the hunting and this and that over here and maybe, you know, divide it up between big businesses and small businesses or whatever they do. They divide it up. Um, other towns, you're typically got some kind of a hotel situation and you got some kind of restaurants. But at this point, at least in my experience, it's pretty much cookie cutter. And that's the frustrating part or the boring part for me, I guess, is that you go to some town and you're going to a this or that or the other hotel and it's going to look very similar to the other hotels that are like that. Those restaurant options may vary a little bit, but uh, for the most part, most of the people in the convention are just going to the big uh, chains, franchises, and that part of it just is less interesting. So that's where I like Vegas. Now, Vegas can be expensive, but on the other side, like I've just been going there too long and I'm cheap, I guess. It could be super cheap. Like it's so cheap. So I'm just going to say, like, I can hear you. But then the other side of it is I don't really drink. I mean, I don't I don't think you have a problem drinking. You'll drink if there's free booze in front of you or something, but you don't go seeking no. it and kind of like waste a bunch of time planning to drink or nothing. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, you know, if I'm at a party or something and there's beer, I'll drink it or something or a drink, I'll try it. I, I still want to try whatever that thing is in the copper glass that was popular years ago, some kind of Russian. Moscow mule. Yeah, yeah. I, I still want to try that because I think I tried it out of a can one time and I want to see what a decent one would taste like just because it's curious <laughs> because so many people were drinking them for a number of years there. But anyhow, you know, I don't drink. Like I say, I vaguely care about drinking that thing. But um the buffets, dude. Come on, man. It's Vegas. Like, there's cheap buffet. Well, hopefully, there's still cheap buffets. There's got to be buffets that are inexpensive or economical to some extent, at least. And that's where I really enjoy it. Like, especially if you can get, like you're saying, a group of people to all agree to show up at some buffet at the same time. Like, no other restaurant, you can go to a buffet and just hang out. Like, you could literally hang out at a buffet and do all of Shot. Oh, shit. That would be an interesting challenge to do the entire Shot Show buffet challenge where you brought Shot Show to your buffet. But uh, if you could just hang out there for like hours hanging out with people, then you go up and get like a burrito and then blah, 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 go up and get some nachos or something or whatever it is, you know, finger food and blah, 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 and then some dessert or some kind of steak or something, whatever you're eating. And then you know what I mean? Like, I, I just think that part of Vegas is fun. We've done, had the opportunity to do that more than once over the years. And that part, because <sighs> I like being able to go up and get a little bit of fried rice and a little bit of an omelet and a little bit of salad. I don't, for some reason, I really dig that. No, oh, I'm not really. I'm not a, which color things. I'm not a buffet dude. Oh, okay. Only because, I mean, oh, actually, I kind of am, but not as in, Look at it as an eating contest to make all of my money back. I like the variety of food you get, but I'm not one of those guys that act as if it's a challenge. Oh, I have to eat everything here. No, dude, I find things I like, and I check out stuff I've never had before, you know? It's well, yeah, pretty- and then they're good. That's the thing. Vegas buffets are freaking good. Like, they're not just kept – some of them, I guess, the cheapest ones might be, but they're usually really good. Like, and, yeah, just grab a spoonful of this, spoonful of that. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I don't like that, but you know what? I only put a spoonful on here. I didn't have to buy it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I had, uh, you know, I had uh, frog frog legs for the first time. Uh, I had uh, alligator for the first time at a buffet. I mean, it's just different things. Oh, yeah, cigar see, something That would cost you 14 bucks if you went to a real restaurant that served alligator. Or it might yeah. cost you more now. What am I saying? Probably cost you 20 bucks nowadays. Mm-hmm. And then you find out, oh, I hate alligator. Well, or what? maybe you find out you love it and you've only got 
six pieces of it for 20 bucks at a buffet. You find out you like it. You just go back and eat more of it. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just really funny that people don't. I mean, that that's how I look at a buffet. Um, I know people see my size and just assume, uh, you know, I go in and uh, <laughs> and just sit down and never move. It's like, nah, that's not how I see food. <clears throat> I, I'm not going to say I haven't wailed on a buffet before. I've shown my anger to a buffet, but I'm going to give you all you can eat. I'm going to eat all I can eat. Okay. I'm not going to do it every time, but I'll, 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 there's some of them that I can't get enough of some. There's some really good buffets in Vegas. I've, I've done it at the uh, breakfast buffet uh, at the Trump Arena. Oh, see, I haven't been to that one. I've been to a couple of fancy ones, in your, but no, I haven't been to that one. Yeah, the Trump Arena in Jersey um, had a breakfast buffet and uh, oh, also... In the Poconos, uh, in the Poconos here in Pennsylvania, uh, I stayed at a place that had an amazing breakfast buffet. And breakfast is my favorite meal of the day, so, you know, I had no problem with that. But uh, I think we need to get out of the show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we sure. talked about Roy's thing. Since you, you talk about cigars all the time, I know KD's got a big cigar thing. I think there's a cigar in your freaking picture right now, right? Yeah, so, there's a cigar in my picture, yeah. You um, know a good cigar from a backwoods, right? So... What's the rundown on cigars? And is there going to be cigar stuff in Vegas? <clears throat> There'll probably be cigar stuff in Vegas. I mean, uh, KD and I, KD hit me up. Uh, one of the bigger hotels, they have a place you can actually smoke inside their club. Um, and they had some good music going and we came up and we all smoked cigars. KD had, it was me, KD, Rob Pincus, uh, Dustin Pluth, his wife. It was a, a group of us that just hung out had some cigars, talked about what we planned on doing, and then went about our own way. But that was a good, chill two hours, you know what I mean, in a non-crowded club uh, or bar in one of the uh, casinos, casino hotels. And that was fun. And then I had my friend Nick, who uh, works with another YouTube channel. Uh, he took me to an out-of-Vegas uh, cigar lounge where uh, they were having a cigar company, what do you call those? Uh, like almost like we have range days here. They had a cigar day there and the guy from the company was still there and we just chilled in the lounge. So, oh, and uh, Brownells had an actual party uh, in a cigar lounge hosted. They hosted a party in a cigar lounge in 2020. So they will be stuff like that. There are people letting down their hair and trying a cigar. And you can tell the difference between some of the cigars because some smell good and some make you want to run out of the room because they smell like someone's burning leaves that a dog had pooped in. So th there's a difference in them. I'm discovering it myself because I'm new to it. So I, I can't roll with a lot of these people that knows different names and everything. I'm just having fun learning. What about there's like that garden... What do they call it? The beer garden. Do people smoke cigars out there during the show? Uh, I don't know. I didn't smoke during the show at all. Um, so I didn't find out what they were doing. But if it's always a good place to network and meet people, too, uh, depending on why you're going to the show. But I think meeting people is really interesting. If I wasn't running around pretty much begging for sponsorship, meeting people is cool. Talking to people from different places. Because Vegas is, I mean, I, I spoke to a guy in Australia that owns a chain of ranges in Australia. And he was interested in diversity shoot, but I think uh, he might have been a little drunk while I was talking to him, too. <laughs> but but he thought it was a great idea. 
So I'm working it. So thanks for having me on, dude. I really appreciate it. Happy New Year, everybody out there. Yeah, leaving you hanging there. Sorry. So I was going to say that sometimes that's the problem with bars is that people get all drunk. And I, I don't mind drinking once in a while, but I don't hang out with drunk people. I don't like just get drunk to get drunk. So, you know, shooting the shit for me is this. I'm happy shooting the shit this way, but somebody's drunk, like I'm not shooting the shit with them. So that's where I think the cigar bars would be a cooler option because somebody might be sipping something there, but there's not too many people going in there to get sloshed, right? Mm -hmm. If they've got issues, they're not like taking them out on the people at the cigar bar. They're going to a regular bar where it's noisy and they can just yell and scream and do whatever. Yeah, and be idiots there. But yeah, not many people at the uh, cigar bar, it's trash. It's more like a chilled, having fun. And actually, there's nothing you have to yell over, you know, for the most part. Right. You don't have to yell over music or other drunks. So I could see that. Okay, well, with that, uh, I'll let Tony get out of here again. We've been going for a long time, but it's the last one of the year. So with that, uh, uh, I think DJ was wanting to jump in. I don't know if he had a specific thing to talk about, but I'll chat with Tony here in a bit. And if nothing's happening, I'm assuming, though, we're both getting out of here. I know I got to go to that. Um. But anyway, thanks, everybody, for joining us. I'll be going live here in a bit. Now, remember, Chris from the 740 is going live tomorrow morning uh, to fill in for Gizzard. And that's it.